This episode is brought to you by AG1. AG1 has become one of my favorite parts of my morning routine. I love to wake up, throw on a podcast, and add a scoop of AG1 to about 8 to 12 ounces of cold water, shake it up, and sip on that while I make my coffee and my breakfast. It's super refreshing, and it tastes really good. I look forward to it every morning almost as much as my first cup of coffee, which for me is saying a lot. With every daily serving, I'm setting myself up for success with 75 high-quality ingredients that give me key daily nutrients and support energy, focus, strength, and clarity throughout the day. I think of it as all-in-one nutritional insurance. I like to eat whole foods when it comes to my nutrition, but it can be really hard to get fresh fruits and veggies, not to mention organic, when you travel to some of these remote climbing areas. I love knowing that every time I drink my AG1 in the morning, my day is covered. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com nugget. That's drinkag1.com nugget. Check it out. This episode is brought to you by Crimped. This is the best app I have seen when it comes to self-coached training for rock climbing. Crimped has dozens of workouts crafted by world-class climbers and coaches that focus on all of the different facets of climbing performance and training, including workouts to guide your outdoor climbing. I just did a really fun collaboration with the guys at Crimped, and now all of you can try my three favorite outdoor bouldering workouts right there in the Crimped app. We've got one called Steven's Outdoor Bouldering Warm-Up, which is my go-to warm-up on a bouldering day. We've got Steven's Outdoor Limit Bouldering, which will guide you through my approach to projecting hard boulders. And finally, we've got Steven's Outdoor Strength Zone Bouldering, which will guide you through a strength-focused bouldering session. I've used that one a lot in Waco tanks over the past few years with great results. And it's a great format for sending some of those second-tier boulders and building strength out there on the rock. Check out the Crimped app at crimped.com. That's C-R-I-M-P-D.com to get started and download the Crimped app for free. And type in Steven, S-T-E-V-E-N, into the search bar in the app to try my go-to outdoor workouts. That's crimped.com or find the Crimped app in the app store. It's totally free to try. Type Steven in the search and have fun out there on the boulders. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Nugget Climbing Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Dimmitt, bringing you another episode from Rocklands, South Africa. I've got two guests on the show today. Carlos Takech is back on the show. He was originally on the show in episode 58, if you want to go back and listen to his first episode. And this time he's joined by his partner, Steph. I always really enjoy talking to these two. They've been coming to Rocklands together for many, many years, and they love this place and we just let this conversation go where it wanted to go. Hope you all enjoy this wide-ranging chat with Carlos and Steph. Will you tell me what you had for breakfast? Just, today? Yeah, I'm just going to check. I'm just going to dial in. Um, we had the same thing we have for breakfast every day which is eggs, cheese, lentils, and bacon. And then because I'm climbing, I also had some toast. <laughs> toast uh, on climbing days. Yeah. Nice. You guys are you guys are habit people. Super habit Still people. Still doing the same like diet thing as two years ago? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. Not much has changed. Yeah. On our fridge, pinned to our fridge is um, like how many grams on what days of everything that we eat. <laughs> and we bring a scale with us wow. here every year. Wow. Uh, my diet back home has changed a little bit. Uh, I've like, feel like I've had to change it as I'm getting older. So I'm eating more red meat. I've added bacon to my diet like almost every day the last uh, six months or something. And it's okay. been awesome. <laughs> what were you What were you feeling or noticing? I just was tired and not recovering well all huh. the time. And I just felt like I needed more. I've always been like very lean in my diet. And I felt like I needed more fat in my diet. And we eat red meat once a week, um, partially because of like, you know, ethical concerns and partially because um, like heart disease runs in my family and stuff like that. My dad, my grandfather died at 63 of a heart attack. Oh, wow. Um, so, uh, but I also felt like I just needed more like substance and red meat always makes me feel better. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I started adding red meat to my diet <laughs> and my training got a lot better. I don't nice. know if it's placebo or what, but hey, you know. Yeah. If it's, if it's working, you know, if it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, are you guys still doing the cheat day? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Once a week. <laughs> once a week cheat day. Yeah. Although we occasionally nice. do like, um, <clears throat> we, we, we're such like, we're such I don't know how to put this. We're terrible, actually, is what we are. This is all terrible stuff. Um, but we'll do like a full cheat meal, and then the next week a half cheat meal, and then the next week a full cheat meal. We go back and forth between that. Because our full cheat meals were just getting like out of control. They were just getting absolutely absurd, right? Yeah. Mainly burgers. Yeah. I don't think it's too bad. Well, you go closer with the mic. Like, try to keep it like a, a hands width away. Yeah. You can have it like down here. That's fine. Steph is an excellent cook and makes the best burgers in the history of mm. burgers easy easy vote it's actually kind yeah. of a tragedy that she's such a good cook and we don't actually utilize it that much because we're such habit forming people yeah hi hello <laughs> welcome back the lighting's really good right now Sorry. the lighting is really good <laughs> <clears throat> do you have anything to add i need a sound check from you um i also i don't know i, <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna ask you what you had for breakfast but you eat the same thing i for had breakfast. the same thing Hers no a little toast. different no toast today and, and chicken. i had chicken yeah Okay. So we kind of do like higher protein, fewer carbs on the non-climbing days. Okay. Higher protein, fewer carbs. We like clear days. the spar out of chicken when we're here. We eat a lot of, <laughs> a lot of chicken. Got you. Yeah. How do you guys balance your climbing days? That's something that um, is always challenging when you're climbing with a partner, but especially when you're climbing with a partner who has different goals and different projects and stuff than you. And especially when you're doing that in Rocklands, because everything is so spread out here. Yeah. You know, like when yeah. you go sport climbing with a partner, you go to the same cliff and like you can probably both find a project to try and it's, you might, you know, you, you may as well be trying the same thing. It doesn't really feel that different. But here it's like you have to drive to a completely different zone, different hike. You probably need like lots of pads. Do you guys, yeah. How do you guys manage that? Do you alternate days or do you um, do mornings, evenings or? When we first get here, we do pretty much just day on, day off, like with each other. But we'll take turns kind of prioritizing who kind of gets the day. And it doesn't mean one of us climbs and the other one doesn't. It just means like if I have a specific night climb, we'll make sure we go to that climb like at night. And then Carlos will pick something during the day that he wants to do. And then the next climbing day, it'll be like his day to prioritize. So if he has a specific night climb he wants to do that day or morning climb, then we'll make sure we go to that at that time. But at the end of our trip, it kind of always ends up being like we climb every day, just my day or his day. I don't know. We just get in a rush to do things. So. <laughs> like right now, she's resting three days before getting back on her like like her Hail Mary for her Braj uh, on Friday. So, yeah, at the end of the trip, all bets are kind of off. I know of couples who like will 
climb like every day, but they'll alternate their days. Mm-hmm. But we like having rest days together. We like hanging out and reading and, yeah, yeah. and working and yeah. writing and doing all that type of stuff. And we like spending time together. Um, it's just based on a lot of communication too. Cause yeah. I don't know, we, yeah, we kind of know what we want to do and we have our projects. And then like, if I want to do something at eight day rain, he'll be like, Oh, I have this, this, and this at eight day rain or Oport. So it's not too bad, but it definitely gets tough the more people you try to add to the equation. Like when some friends are here and stuff, it's like try to find one area and go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's not, I mean, we've been doing it for a long time now and that's worked out really well for us. I guess um, that's true. Yeah. It, we've technically been like climbing partners for seven years. So yeah. And it's never really been an issue. And like, I can't, you know, get on the same project over and over again, like every climbing day, even if we do day on day off, even day on day off is not enough rest eventually when you're out here for a long time. Mm-hmm. We're usually out here for a long time. So, yeah. Sorry. Say? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I talk about this all the time. So people like, you know, will, will have heard me say the same thing. Like in Waco, I often climb three days a week and um, it, it it's so hard to like embrace that and like accept it and stomach it. I'm always fighting against that. You know, I'm like, I'm going to be here for two months and I'm only going to have like, you know, three days a week times yeah. four times less than half of it. I'm going to have like days. 24 climbing days or 26 climbing days. Like, fuck, that's not enough. And then when you're hanging out with someone like Ethan all the time, it makes you feel like a crazy person <laughs> for not climbing five or six days a week. But, yeah. um, but that's kind of the reality. Like when I climb more than day on day off or even day on day off on hard stuff, I just, I'd slowly dig myself a hole or, or quickly dig myself a hole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, we've been doing day on day off for a while and I start to get real tired after about a month and have to take like a multi-day off or start going towards like side quest projects. Um, but even, you know, training this last year, my, my training has always just been do more of the same thing as I get higher. But like I started to overtrain last year when I was here, I was overtrained a lot. And this last training cycle, this last semester, um, this is relevant, I promise, had like, because of my school schedule, I just had to take an extra day off a week. Like, and so I only climbed three days a week instead of like normally climbing or training four days a week, like I normally have. Um, and it was so much better. The extra rest mm. day was so much better. And I got here feeling way fitter and way stronger. And um, everything that I've gotten on has felt better than it did last year. Mm. Um, so I'm like, I don't know if it's partially because I'm 37 now or what the deal is or because I'm trying harder all the time now. Um, I don't, there's too many variables. Yeah. Um, but embracing the rest is hard. I'm kind of a fidgety person. Um, school helps with that because there's a lot to, I got a lot of shit to do all the time. But but that's been a big thing for me is just like embracing that, like the quality over quantity type mm-hmm. of thing has been good. Mm-hmm. How long have each of you guys been coming here? You've, this is like your seventh year? Yeah, I've been here every year since 2016 minus 2020. Okay. Yeah, and I first came in 2017 because I met him in 2016 and he told me he was going again in 2017. And then I decided to kind of book my own flight and see how it was going to be. And then I came twice that year because I left to go back home halfway through my trip and then came back later. And so I've technically also been here seven times. <laughs> yeah. She got mad because I would always be like, I've been here seven, she's been here six. <laughs> so no, no, I, I was. I counted this year and we've done that yeah. flight, like um, the like here and back flight 13 times, like that journey of 
It's a nightmare. 32 it's hours. A nightmare. Yeah, car to car. Crossing the Atlantic for three months on a sailboat is a nightmare. This is fine. I, but I sometimes <laughs> it want, still sucks. I'd rather be on the boat sometimes <laughs> than on the flight. Yeah. It's yeah. so, I, I hate, I used to love flying. I used to be like, oh, the flying's fine. I used to think it was cool. I hate it now. It's just like I know. uncomfortable. Yeah, they really, they really try to get you to upgrade, don't they? Yeah, yeah I just <laughs> listened to a whole uh, the podcast. Seats are not comfortable about flying. <laughs> about why they, yeah, behind the bash is an episode on the guy who like turned it into a nightmare. I guess. Oh, really? Uh, it's, yeah, it's pretty interesting. Wow, of course. Yeah, it was business decisions. Of course it is. Yeah, yeah of course it is. Um, well, because it used to be flying used to be fully regulated by the government. Like you weren't allowed to offer different prices for different seats on planes. All this stuff happened, and then eventually. Uh, in the 80s, deregulation happened in competition. So it used to be like specifically not competitive. They were like na almost nationalized, but not quite hmm. um, the the industry. So neither here nor there. Yeah. Um, I did get a, a Switch this last year and was playing Zelda on the flight. And it <laughs> nice. made it so much better than watching shitty movies. Nice. Which is normally what I do on a flight is I watch all the terrible movies. Yeah. That, like I'm, I'm excited to watch The Meg on the way back if it's on the flight. Okay. Because I like I like terrible movies, but I'm not going to like inflict them on her <laughs> or use actual quality time on them. Yeah. Um, so flights are a good time. But the Switch was the best thing ever. I like <laughs> must have played like 15 hours <laughs> on the flights. Nice. I don't sleep. So... <laughs> Nice. And I mean, it, it makes sense. Like, do you guys just, did you fall in love with it right away? Is it just like the best, the best place in the mm -hmm. world? Um, I, I mean, I, it makes sense because it just fits so well with your, with your lifestyle. You're both teachers now. Well, you're back in school, right? Yeah. I'm teaching as a part of my funding. So I'm like, I'm in the weird, uh, I'm a graduate assistant. So like weird, I'm an employee when it's useful for the university and I am a student when it's useful for the university. I'm working okay. on unionizing our GAs right now, okay. um, which is a whole other thing. Um, but yeah, Steph is in school and substitute teaches for her. Yeah. So I pretty much follow the same school semester yeah, year. Summer breaks. Yeah. Something yeah. is good for that too. It, what, are you, what are you studying? Uh, physics. Okay. But I'm getting my bachelor's. So I have another bachelor's degree in something unrelated and I want to get my master's in physics. So I had to go back and just do the bachelor's in physics all over again. Wow. Why? Um, I just... I was interested in physics before, but when I was 18, I just kind of wasn't ready to take that on. I like knew I needed a break from school, but was being pushed to go do a bachelor's um, from my parents. But I wasn't ready to like study as much as I am now mm. to like actually kind of give physics what it needs for me to learn it. And so I kind of put it off. And then when he decided to go back to school, I was like, it's time to do it. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. then with my master's, I just want to teach like college level physics. Okay. I think that'd be awesome. And it would fit our lifestyle. We can come to Rockland still. It's like, it's so sick that you guys are that aligned. That's kind of amazing. Yeah. It's super amazing. Yeah. It's very, it's, it's, it's very lucky in a lot of ways. Um, and we both like, yeah, we both believe in education and believe in teaching. All that works out really well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think for me though, I never see, I never saw the path as clearly as kind of Carlos did, like what he wanted to do in teaching and stuff. And, but I always liked the lifestyle and kind of knew that I wasn't, I was never like a nine to five all year round person, which I think a lot of people say, but like, yeah, I just, I just hadn't found a way to like make my life work without doing that. And then when I met Carlos, he introduced me to substitute teaching and I was like, oh, teaching isn't that bad. Like it's, it's not the like, kind of trauma that you remember from high school and middle school, like that being on the teacher yeah. side is so much more fun and just, I don't know, very rewarding. And so, um, 
I mean, I've been subbing in pre-K through high school for six or seven years now. And so I've had my time with that age group. And I think the college age group that's a little older is what I want to do. So for that, I had to do my master's. People that are paying good money to be there. Well, or (laughs) just... too much money, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Or just like not... I don't know. In high school, you're also there like six hours a day, eight hours a day as like a high schooler. And so I don't... I don't blame them for being like a little tired, a little too hormonal all the time. Mm-hmm. They like say f- weird things. I don't know. It's just not the age group I want to be around all the time. But <clears throat> makes sense. We'll see how the 18, 19 year olds are. <laughs> and a lot of what you do when you, because I substitute talk K through eight, um, and a lot of what you do in that system is edu- like teaching people critical thinking, all that type of stuff is a part of it, but there's also, you're there partially so that their parents can go to work. And mm. that's how the economy works is that people go to work 40 hours a week and things like that, right? It's, it's babysitting is really what it is. Mm. Um, that's a big part of it. And so, and then like, and you're, you're kind of civilizing the kids, which is a weird thing to say, but like you're teaching them how to interact with each other, right? And like, I'm not that civilized myself. Like I'm not that good <laughs> at it. And so it's like quite a different, like the, the project of a K through 12 education is very different than the project of a university education in uh, the United States. It's different in other places, obviously. Mm. Um, and my interests personally align a lot more with the university. And I, I like literature and like you're not, the literature you teach in high school is determined by the state, um, mm-hmm. which is, you know, fine, whatever. It depends on where you're at. I guess it's not fine in Florida. Um, whereas in the college classroom, I have almost full autonomy over what I teach and why I teach it. I just have to be able to justify what I do. Not that hard to justify what you do. Mm. Um, and you know, there are, there are pedagogical like commitments and things like that. And that's fine. So I, I personally appreciate that type of freedom, um, to kind of align my own interests when I'm teaching my students and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and they seem to appreciate it too, because if you're in a classroom with a teacher who enjoys what they're doing, it's a lot better than oh, the man. other way around. It's, yeah, it makes a big difference. It's so much better. I had a teacher, the first person that came to mind hearing you talk about that, um, as far as a teacher goes in my life, who was exemplifying that was uh, like an upper division music theory mm. teacher that I had. And we would just break down Radiohead songs yes. and like Beatles songs. And it was fascinating. And I learned so much and I was so, I became so engrossed in music theory and like how everything works because of, because of that class. And like, those were two of my favorite bands, you know? Yeah. Like, what, what are the odds? This is so cool. Well, they wrote all the best songs. Well, they wrote all the best songs, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's what Chuck yeah. Klosterman says about the Beatles. He had like a list of all the best bands ever. And number one was the Beatles. And he, every mm. single band had like a long paragraph describing why he chose them for that one. And the Beatles was just, they wrote all the best songs, <laughs> uh, which I think is true, which I think is not wrong. Yeah. they. I don't even know if they understood how genius they were, but they no. were, they were true geniuses. I they, don't think they, they couldn't have, right? Yeah. I don't think yeah. they understood like the theory on like a, they wouldn't have been able to explain what they were doing, but yeah. intuitively they, they probably make terrible music teachers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like Metadona as a coach. No idea. It just <laughs> sounded good. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, that's funny. Um, but I wanted to go back for a second. It's cool about why we keep coming back here. Mm. Um, when I came here for the first time in 2016, and this is like, I'm coming back because this is like something I think about all the time. I had done a lot of traveling both before climbing and after climbing, um, but was doing a lot of like ticking off places, that type of like tourism, you know? Um, and at some point I realized that I wasn't having like very deep experiences with any single place. Like I was, I was really having very shallow, similar experiences everywhere I go. I was kind of like externalizing the place to my travel. It was like, so I could say that I did it so I could out my, my Facebook or something. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I started, I started to think a lot more and, and maybe it's because I turned 30 around that time. I started to think a lot more about like what it means to actually get to know a place, to have a deeper experience with a place. I had a friend who lived in Bishop and listening to talk and he'd lived there for a decade listening to talk about Bishop and, and talk about the mountains and things like that. I realized that I had, I had no relationship to any place that way, that closely, mm. maybe the place I grew up, but I was trying to escape it and I'm never going back. Um, and so at that point I was thinking, okay, like, how do I make an adjustment in my life where I can start to have that type of relationship with places? And, and that required making a choice, which is like sacrificing all the other potential places. Um, and then I came here in 2016 and was like, okay, this is the place a hundred percent. It was kind of an easy choice once I came here the first time. Yeah. Um, and then luckily when 2017, when we came back, Steph also really liked it. <laughs> um, again, that alignment thing. Yeah. Um, and so it's like never even been a discussion for us about whether or not we're coming back. That, that's like not, not coming back, um, you know, barring life things happening is it's, it's always on the table. We plan our entire year around it. We were very frugal all year long so that we can afford to come back. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like, we we both agree with that. And so we don't have to fight over it. We don't have to argue about it. None of that, mm -hmm. um, which is really nice. Yeah. Well, also in May, May in Vegas gets up to like, <laughs> yeah. that's when you start it's to terrible, get to 100 yeah. degrees and, and you're ambition. like, well, yeah. I need to leave. So it's not too hard of a choice. Yeah. Well, and, sure. and now like, like everywhere in, in yeah. North America, basically, like, especially maybe not May, but you know, July, August come around and there's kind of no escape. There's, there's nowhere else to be either yeah. train inside with air conditioning, or, I mean, you can go up in the Alpine and, you know, have decent conditions, but it's yeah. still, it's not the same as and you're hiking like 15 miles over here. Too much hiking. <laughs> Too much I kind of like it, yeah. but I, but I understand. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, this place is, it's different than I expected. And I think it is exactly, it's like perfectly suited to, um, to that kind of a deep connection because it takes a lot of investment to really connect and get to know yeah. this place. Like, I, th I don't know what I was expecting. I guess I just was expecting like, you know, Waco, but obviously bigger with more stuff, but it's actually like you know, Waco spread out over a hundred times the area. And so I was, I've been thinking about this a lot. Like, you know, I'm, I'm sure people are going to ask me what I thought of the trip and like, if I recommend Rocklands and like, obviously it's amazing, but it's weird because someone else could come here and have a three week trip here or a two month trip here and literally go to none of the same places <laughs> yeah. that I've been spending all my time. And so like how I have no frame of reference for like how your trip could be, you know, you could try completely different stuff and like the rocks kind of different in different zones too. So yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I'm sure it takes are, years to, there are zones, you know, we've <clears throat> been out here a lot and there are zones that we've never been to and there are new zones going up all the time. Yeah. Um, and it's like, it's overwhelming. Yeah. Um, and you know, we're putting up, um, Steph did an FA this year. I've done a couple of FAs this year. Like we're putting up stuff and in, in, in like next to the parking too, sometimes <laughs> nice. um, it's just insane. Cool. Um, yeah, it can be, it can be our, we had friends who came for a three year trip too. And, and they barely returned to anything more than once, you know? Mm. Um, so it's, I don't know if that's good or bad. So I guess it depends on what you're into. Yeah. Well, I also, I think I am realizing too, like every area kind of has like sweet spot grades, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, like I just came from Magic Wood. And so that's a little bit different where I felt like <clears throat> I was hanging out with some people that were, you know, climbing, capable of climbing V14 or V4, V15. And they were like, you know, flashing some of the V13s and doing lots of like 11s and 12s quickly. I was trying a, you know, in a V11 project but was able to have the same experience just scaled down mm -hmm. where I was like doing lots of seven B's, seven B pluses. I'm mixing my 
U.S. and French grade scales. <laughs> People get used to it. Um, but the, the experience scales seemingly across like the whole spectrum in a place like Magic Wood, whereas here it seems like like V13 seems like the magic grade. Yeah. Maybe V10, 11, 12 is at 13 is like kind of the most like rich, lush grade range for this place just by happenstance. But what has your experience been like? Do you feel like, because you're, you're like breaking into V10, you've done a couple of V10s now. Yeah. And when I first came here in 2017, it was all about like finding the good 6C to like 7A plus range, 7B. And so I would say there are a lot of good 7B to 7B plus here. So like V7, V8 grade range, there's a lot of good ones. Um, but yeah, I think I liked it as much as he did here because for me, there was like a good, there's just so many, like so many good 6C pluses, so many good 7As that like you can't really complain. And like, I didn't care about doing, I mean, I didn't know about all the A, Bs or 8, A pluses back then, but like for me, all I needed was like the number of 7, A, 7 A's that were out here and the range of them. And that's why I think Rocklands is so good. There's, there's stuff for everyone in your group to try. And like, mm -hmm. there's all sorts of roofs, non-roofs. Stiff like, stiff like roofs. I like roofs. So like yeah, roofs it's too. either roofs yeah. or not roofs. Or steep climbing at least. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's why you, I originally liked it because I was just a roof climber. And so there's like, where I would you, call this Where place did you come from before? Um, I started climbing in Vegas. So at Red Rock Climbing Center. Mm. And this was like back when Origin, or I guess the pad and Refuge weren't open yet. And so you were choosing between like Red Rock Climbing Center and Nevada Climbing Center. And if you've ever been to Red Rock Climbing Center, there's like not a single slab wall in there. It's all this old training gym. And there's this like 20 foot roof cave thing that just has a, like a carpet that goes along with it. And there's training for Potosi probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pretty much. I think, it, yeah, I've only been to Potosi once, but that type of climbing is what well, I like. When I, when I met you, you were living in Yosemite and like climbing trad and learning that you I didn't like trap that much. To, yeah, I trap <laughs> yeah, I moved to Yosemite to like see what um trad was all about and like what these big walls were all about and I quickly found that they were awesome but I I didn't enjoy it as much. I didn't like the the like epicking. Mm. I just felt like it was always there were always too many variables and like could die any day, you know? Like <laughs> Yeah, well, Something it's, it's less around. about, I mean, bouldering is the climbing distilled, right? Like, yeah. Like that's what I, that's why I keep coming back to it more and more and more. It's like you get so much good movement and like yeah. good climbing in, in a trip or a session um, versus even, even sport climbing that's diluted quite a bit. You know, like you get to climb more when you're sport climbing, but something I've kind of been realizing over the last few years is like, it's a, it's a really rare sport climb that I really love, like in its entirety. Usually there's like a section of it that I think is really cool, yeah. but there's a lot of filler climbing and bouldering. You just kind of strip all that away. And, and, you know, big wall trad climbing is like the total other end of the spectrum. Yeah. yeah. Which Lots I still of think, and yeah, the movement and stuff in trad is awesome and the views and everything. And I have like still these pictures of my head in my head of like looking at El Cap, like while I was doing another climb and just seeing all those climbers on that wall and like enjoying the moment, but also wishing I was on the ground and you get, you get that more with bouldering. 
you know? Yeah, I've, I've had a lot of times on trad where I was like, I wish I was bouldering now. And I don't think I've ever been bouldering and was like, I wish I was on a big wall right now. I think yeah. I also like in bouldering, like the variety of movement. Like I, I like toe hooks and mm-hmm. dinos and yeah. kicking toe hooks and step ups and all the weird stuff. It's true. Um, that you don't. And, but I also am glad I know how to hand jam and finger lock. Those are useful sometimes. Yeah. Um, I did sure. a lot of trad back in the day. So yeah, I just love the variety in bouldering. Like it gets, it just gets so crazy. Yeah. Um, and it's so fun. Yeah. That way. Never boring. Never boring. <clears throat> yeah. How would how would you guys describe the style here? It's like maybe I've been talking about this a lot on the podcast so far in the last like couple episodes, but um, it's hard to capture probably because there's so much rock that it just depends where you go and what you climb on. You can kind of find anything, but it's pretty unique. Yeah. I haven't yeah. climbed anywhere quite like this. I think both of us kind of tend towards like me kind of leveled down a bit but the powerful climbing like we're I don't know it is very powerful here but like if you want you can just do big moves all the time on like big holds and never crimp but if you want to crimp you can crimp mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. why we like it here because I hate crimping Bishop yeah. cured me of crimping living in Bishop <laughs> for several years and climbing out there for a decade cured me of that yeah yeah when I describe it to people I tell them that it's like pretty and, and of course, this is not actually true because for anything I'm about to say, there's a climb that totally negates that thing. Um, but it tends to be straightforward. Um, that's, I think, why people are like flashing and climbing hard out here, right? It's not like the most complicated climbing all the time. Then you have stuff like Black Shadow and Moisty that end up being like super complicated and subtle. Um, the holds tend to be good, but far apart. There's lots of like powerful moves in between holds. Um, the feet tend to be pretty good. Right, you're not like edging tiny all the time. Again, there's sometimes they're like that, mm-hmm. um, and there tends to be some a, a lot of anything you could possibly want is the way I describe it to people. Mm-hmm. But it does it does seem to like suit people who like learn to climb in a gym, especially like a modern gym. Yeah, um, it, it, there's just so much power involved, um, and then the top outs are amazing most of the time. Like <laughs> yeah, ninety nine percent of the time, jump yeah. top out. Yeah. Which is wonderful. No man, no mantle skills required. It was like one strategic balance. <laughs> the only one I can think of. Um, and I, one I saw actually up behind gliding through the ways like dolphins uh, that Matthias called the hardest top out in Rocklands. But I <laughs> I didn't know it was 60 plus. I didn't know what it was. I'd never seen it. Um, but yeah, I don't know if that fits with your experience. Yeah. Um, well, I think I've been kind of struggling here and that like just totally fits the bill because I always, I always find like modern gym climbing to be like yeah. the hardest type of climbing for me. And I, and I'm doing really well in black shadow because I think I can like utilize my bag of tricks, you know? Yeah. And I feel like most of the climbing here that I've tried so far just like neutralizes my bag of tricks. Mm. I'm like, fuck, <laughs> there's, learn. No, there's no subtlety. There's no like micro beta to really be found here. I mean, there's some, but <clears throat> it's like, oh, you just got to like crank, you yeah. know, or like lock that uh, hold down or whatever. Or try, you know, like some of the projects I've had out here, um, like my first AB monkey business, uh, it all revolves around one move and it's got a heel toe cam, but it's not that complicated. I tried that move probably 150 times over the course of two or three years, maybe more. Wow. And only stuck it twice, once in isolation and once when I sent. Wow. Um, and so there's a lot of that too, where it's like, I don't know if I was actually learning anything while doing the move. <laughs> I was trying to convince myself that I was learning small subtleties and maybe yeah. I was learning slight different foot positions. But what I was really learning was to like try hard and have confidence, I think. Mm. Um, and to like, just throw yourself at a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, I don't know, I like that kind of thing. I like getting like deep into that one move. Um, although maybe like I'm liking that less and less because it can be pretty frustrating sometimes. Yeah. Um, But it's pretty, it it is interesting that way where like, yeah, sometimes, you know, one of the available betas that's always there is to just try harder. And that seems to work really well here. Mm. Um, it's just to go down and squeeze and, uh, 
and black out from effort. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm finding um, maybe similar to you, Steph, like the roofs are suiting me a lot better than everything else here so far. And I think they do have more complexity and more hold options and more of that trickery and stuff that you can, you can kind of like find your way. You can find your like sneaky bicycle or knee bar or. You yeah. Know, the roofs whatever. are awesome here and there's a lot of them. Mm. And I, need to get a roof I love them you. all. <laughs> oh, I have some roofs and like, I mean, they're not like, they're like pretty popular roofs, but like, yeah, I've probably tried all of them. Mm. And I don't know. Yeah. Here you can find a lot of different bait. Like a lot keep, of the keep climbs talking, here. I'm going to unplug the fridge real quick. <laughs> a lot of the different climbs here I find have like so much different beta available. And so someone like me can just sit down and like try to figure out what works for me, especially as even if it didn't work for Carlos or whatever, like I find that the climbing here does have a lot of options for kind of doing the beta that suits you, but it might be completely different than the 10 other people you're working it with. Mm. <laughs> and I like Caroline's that. a pretty good example. Yeah. Carol, I mean, literally all the roofs, you're just like, you can sit there for hours and just try to solve your own problem, you know? Yeah. No late tenders. Has yeah. like 30 holds, but you use like six of them, seven of them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, so complex. It's awesome. You can have like, yeah, you can just have roof. You can do roofs for three months here. And like, this is where we're different is Steph likes that kind of complex, like figuring out the beta and she likes the puzzle. Yeah. I'm a little less attracted to the puzzle. I'm like, I want to find what the hardest physical move that I can do is like single move. And if it's a two move boulder problem, even better. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then and I need then, to learn to love that. I think. Yeah. I know. I think it comes from my background playing goalie in soccer. Cause when you play goalie, it's like for the most time you're just standing around and then it's 30 seconds of incredible intensity. You're getting <laughs> balls kicked at your face or people kicking you. And mm. then you punt the ball down the other field and you stand around again for 10 mm. minutes, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I just really, I always really like that here. And a I lot of the I'm, climbing here does suit that. I think I'm starting to like learn not to just be a, like a, like try to perfect the climb here and like do the roofs all perfectly. I, because I see kind of the value in being able to try hard. And I think that's what I've been avoiding in like the long roof climbs is doing the really powerful, quick movements that you kind of get on like dinos and like even something like black shadow, like you have to try really hard. And like, even if it's for like a smaller amount of moves, being able to do that, I think out here gets you really far. Like mm. there are so many one move hard problems that I think if you just start trying to learn how to do that, you can we, we figured out here. We figured out this trip that Steph tried hard for the very first time in her climbing, <laughs> climbing career. Oh. I think anytime she's ever done anything else, she's worked it till it required about 80% mm. of her strength. And then um, and then made it look easy. And then this year when she was trying Caroline, uh, working Caroline, there was like one day where it just snapped and she was trying really hard. And I'd never seen her try that hard. And I've climbed a lot with her. Whoa. And even her skin showed it. For the first time, she was like low on skin. I think I um, spent the rest of the, that day too telling other people to try hard because I was like, have you guys tried this? Did it's, you guys know you could try hard? Are you trying hard? <laughs> it was the, it was hilarious. Um, and I've been like a, a buddy of mine, Trevor, um, spreading the good news. Yeah, I know. I was word. like, this is amazing. 
we can been, do Trevor so much. and I have been talking for years that when Steph figures out how to try hard, all the boulders are going to bow down. Um, <laughs> and so it's like you, pretty You don't funny. know this, but the other day I was driving to the spar. I like dropped him off at El Corazon and then went to town. I was And people. I was like, it was like the day after this and I was in the car and I was like, okay, I need to learn to yell because I have this like... I don't know. It's it's not a good yell. And like whenever he does a climb, he does a really good yell. And I'm like, I need one. So I was in the car by myself and I like, I tried to yell and it was still very like soft and reserved and like quiet. And then I was like, no, you can do better. And so I was just yelling in the car by myself on the way to spa. That is amazing. And I think I got like some good ones, but I think I also realized that if I'm trying to emulate like Carlos's yell. I'm just never going to get that because we're not the same human. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Steph's the kind of person that when I tell her to like put on some aggressive music so that she can try to send, like when she was doing uh, working Um Petit Waco in 2018, mm-hmm. she puts on Adele. It's like an emotional, emotionally yeah. aggressive music, which I, I'm like, no, metal. We need metal. You need some punk rock. Something. And it's very funny. You um, can get aggressive with us. Adele because it's like <laughs> you get so sad, you know, that you're just like angry and it makes you think of all the hate in your Not heart i don't know I, have with adele. <laughs> I love this you're just listening to adele i definitely sent it though by yourself in the car <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's, that's sick hilarious i did not know we just have different like ways to trigger aggression i think and my maybe necessary steph try hard 2.0 is coming yeah yeah that yell i feel i feel like i like know how to yell more on sport climbs actually than on mm. boulders i feel like more often on boulders, I'm like really tensing and like not breathing when I'm trying really hard. Yeah. But I guess like hard dead points and stuff is like hard dead points on like at the end of a crux on a sport route is when I've like screamed the loudest. Yeah. Yeah. I have this, um, this memory. Um, I'm not like I'm gonna most... start practicing when I drive. <laughs> I'm not the most make yelly sure, person. Make sure Ethan's in the car with you though. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You guys can yeah. yell together. Have a yell duet. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not the most yelly person. I yell before I get on. I do like some grunting and things. And then often after I stick and move. But I remember watching this guy in um, Thailand try this climb. It's like a 514D. And I walked by in the morning. This is years ago, a long time ago. And I walked by in the morning and he was trying it and falling at the crux. And it came back like four hours later and he was still trying it and falling off the crux. But he got up there one time and got up to right before the crux of the rest and let, let out this yell that like struck fear in my heart Whoa. and then sent Whoa. And I was like, oh, that was sick. It was, I will never forget. I don't know what it was about that moment, but you knew from the sound and the tenor of the yell that it was going down. Wow. Um, that the boulder was afraid or the climb was afraid. He was a, yeah, he was about to step into battle. Yeah, it was like really impressive, um, especially because it was like 85 degrees or something crazy <laughs> like that and humid and he had been on it all day long. Maybe took yeah. a break in the middle. I don't know. I went swimming. Um, so yeah, it's pretty It's pretty interesting. But I, I use I like use a lot of aggression in my climbing. It's like dynamic climbing. Mm. Um, and I'm like always gurring. And, and, and we talk a lot about this because her approach is very different. Um, and I'm like, you know, fucking mansplainer i'm like you should you should try my way (laughs) you know that kind of thing always um i'm sure i'm not the only partner in the world who's been that way coach carlos Uh, yeah yeah i go into coach carlos mode um which is not always great for a relationship yeah although i've learned a new thing this year which is i think from matias which has been really great instead of starting to give feedback he'll be like let me know when you're ready for feedback Mm. or do you like feedback now i just think that is such a wonderful like Mm. starting point for that type of thing i've been using that like the other day i asked you if you're ready for feedback and you were like no don't give it to me <laughs> but it's good that kind of communication is good it's such a simple little thing and i yeah, thought it was really really special and actually really good yeah 
I, I'm sure it's in the delivery. Like that, I like that a lot, but I'm sure that could be. Yeah. Let, let me know yeah. when you're ready for feedback. No, you're right. You're right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, when I think with us, when you're just like, he knows how I climb and I know what feedback he gives me. And so it's kind of like, it's kind of like, are you ready to face what you already know? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's very personal when it, when you've been climbing with someone for seven years, like yeah. they know what you're doing, you know what you're doing. So yeah, it's that's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's more like wanting to hear what you don't want to hear. How has this trip gone for each of you? I think really well. This trip, probably not like in terms of sending things, but just like in terms of progressing and like mentally progressing and just like recovering from school. (laughs) You did one of your projects though. It's been a very good trip. Yeah. (laughs) She doesn't like to spray about herself. I spray for her. Great. No, yeah. I did Ghost, which was a project I was trying last year. Ghost in the Darkness. Ghost in the Darkness at the Sassies. Yeah. Has a hand jam and a dynamic move at the end, which has always been my crux. And I was able <laughs> nice. to do it, which I'm psyched. Sick. But yeah, there's How hard is that one? I think it gets um, 7C and 7C plus, so like slash grade. Okay. Yeah. Nice. But it's an awesome it's climb. It's every bit of 7C plus, in my opinion. Nice. But hell yeah. I think it's a rad climb. And yeah, I don't know. This year, I've just kind of appreciated being out here a little bit more. And just kind of enjoyed every single day. Been reading a lot and happy. Yeah, I was really proud of her on that one because the last move is like is is pretty dynamic and and the landing's not great. And she like blew her ankle up really early in her climbing career when we like met mm. each other in her bouldering career. And so she's always been a little um, like scared of falling that way. And she took some pretty good whips on that last move, just like eating shit, going for it super hard. Nice. And so I was like super proud to see her to see her pushing through that way and getting through the fear. Um, of like landing funny and then and then being okay, uh, which I think is really great. Yeah, nice. And then did you do Caroline? No, not yet. I'm going back Friday. Sick. I fell yeah. off going to like the side pool. People call it a jug. It's not a jug. Yeah, that like kind of side, slot, pool, side thing. pool thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, People call everything a jug. There's a lot of jug inflation <laughs> these days. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Yeah, yeah. that yeah. climb is more just so taxing the whole time that that it's one is. Been, I haven't done it. I got my butt kicked. It's so sustained. Yeah. yeah, it's just so sustained. And so last session, I kind of figured out how to learn to move kind of the tension from my shoulders to my lats upper at like the upper move so I could just get more power from it. Mm. And yeah, now I'm ready on Friday to go give it a try. If not, I'll send it next year. Nice. My favorite saying this year is it's always a good day when you send Caroline because <laughs> it doesn't matter. It'll send, it'll go one day. It'll go one day for sure. I watched Matias's video oh my God. and that, that made me actually more curious to go try it again. Yeah. Cause I just like, I just don't really fit in the boxes of the typical beta and he just turned it into a moonboard climb. I was like, yeah, oh, that's, that's intriguing. I like seeing how hard it. he tried on it because it was just like, well, he's been trying harder this year, but like just it was very inspiring to see like someone try really hard on something. And yeah, yeah. He, 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 I've never seen him try harder <laughs> than, than on that thing. That one day that we were out he's there, I was like, Oh, sent a bunch of V13s this year. And he says that's the hardest he's tried. Yeah. He put trip. more sessions into that than a few of them, which is, he uh, gave it 14, which is like a honest grade. <laughs> I love that. I love it. That's, that's awesome. awesome. Yeah. How about for you? Uh, it's been good. It's been really good. Um, my main goal was Airstar. 
Um, which was like, a, for me, it was kind of a big thing because I haven't done any high balls since I was in my 20s, probably. Because I, in 2014, I broke my ankle and my heel like a few months apart mm. and just have not been into it since then. And then if you go a long time without, I, well, this is something I've learned in retrospect. If you go a long time without doing those things, you start to convince yourself that you can't. Mm. Um, you, I, I kind of forgot that being up high is a learnable thing. And then I also like, you start to question whether or not your body can take a thing the longer that you go without doing it. Um, and so I kind of came knowing that I needed to like work on being scared and committing up high. Um, Cause for a long time I've been like worried about injury and things like that. Cause I just rely on climbing so much to be, <laughs> to be happy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, yeah. But I've also been like struggling with my motivation for like, since we talked last, um, my motivation in climbing has been really difficult. Um, you know, and, and that year in particular, 2020 was difficult for a lot of people made taking climbing seriously to be, be turned out to be kind of hard after that. Um, cause it was such a gnarly year. And this year, uh, this, this season actually, like last season, I, I, I had a project and I ended up sending like on the last day at seven o'clock at night before we flew out. And I, I have terrible memories of it. Mm. It was just desperate. I don't, I did not enjoy, <laughs> enjoy it one bit. I'm happy I did it. It's a great climb. Mm. Um, but there was like no pleasure involved. Wow. Um, and and I was just suffering so hard. I was probably really miserable to be around. Um, and my climb has kind of been that way for a little while, which normally people would say take a break, but I just like push through it because yeah. I'm, I'm a, like a terrible human and I like to suffer a little bit on the inside. Or you just like don't know what else to do with yourself. Yeah, and, and I knew that I would get out of it eventually and I wanted to come out on the other end stronger. So I just I just figured that I would just like, and like training was never hard. There's I have no anxiety around training and stuff like that and performance anxiety and all that kind of crap, right? Um, and so, yeah, this year, it's just been a lot of fun. And in particular, there was one night, Matthias wanted to go do Into the Void, which is this like high ball. It's like two V11 dinos in a row. The second one is like, it's probably 20, 25 feet tall. And the second dino is like double overhead. Yeah. Um, Looks and there's like wild. no, in no universe previous to that day would I have been into that type of thing. And for whatever, I don't know if I was having like a midlife crisis or some shit, but that day he's like, let's go do it. And I was like, oh yeah, let's go do it. Um, and I took like the whips from the top a few times and and was like, oh, it's okay. Like mm. I can fall. That really helped with my with my mentality for um for Airstar and all that type of stuff. So yeah, it's been it's been super fun. I think partially too the rains at the beginning. We were here in May for like the floods. Oh wow. Just like jolted us out of our normal like project oriented climbing. And all of a sudden it was like if you could go anywhere, you were psyched. Mm -hmm. Um Yeah, wasn't there's like 20 days or something or 25 was, days where you just couldn't climb at all. It was a crazy amount of rain. In like a month. Yeah. It's rough. Um, and everything rough. was flooding. So, so yeah, it's been a, it's been a good trip. I've done some of the things that I wanted to do. Um, left other things undone, of course, like always, which is good. Um, but mostly, just like I feel like my brain has recovered from this two year slump, mm -hmm. um, and that's been really really nice. I, I I'm not sure I believed I would get out of it eventually. Yeah, um, I just figured I'd start sport climbing or something, <laughs> uh, but I guess not. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting. It's almost. Um... Is, can you like point to something or does it just feel kind of mysterious? About what happened? Yeah. Um, like what shifted? You know, I think I, I, I'm like an analytical kind of person, even though I, I study art, I guess. And, and, and so I've been thinking a lot about it. Um, I think one thing that caused some of my anxiety was like the anxiety around aging. I'm 37. I'm like, it's like I can like throw a stone at 40 now, which is just crazy to me. Like, I don't think I ever believed that actually, like, you know, you kind of ignore the fact that that's coming for everybody, right? Totally, yeah. Um, and I still live in, like, the, in the part of my head that thinks 40 is ancient, which is hilarious, right? Like, there's a no, part. I, I'm 34, and I can, like, at 34, I can still connect to being, like, in my mid-20s. Yeah. 
And then 37 feels like, oh, fuck. It's like, like there. It's like right yeah. around the corner. I don't like, know. It's so silly. But... And I'm spending like most of my time bouldering with people half my age. <laughs> these yeah, days, you totally. Know, talking yeah. about how many rest days they don't take. That's one. That one's for Porter. Um, if Porter hears this. And and so, yeah, I had like a lot of anxiety around that and about whether or not I could continue to get stronger and things like that. Right. And, and I think partially taking that extra rest day every week and coming here and feeling stronger helped. Um, but I really, I really credit a lot of it to like climbing with Matias because he's, he's just, he just has fun, doesn't complain. Um, I realized that a lot of my like very analytical approach to training was starting to creep into my outdoor climbing. So my outdoor climbing was becoming very systematic, like try the project, try the project, try the project, rest, try the project, try the, you know, that type of thing, which is good and worked. Um, but I had lost all impulse in my climbing. Mm. You know, I would like not climb a thing that looked fun because I wanted to save myself for my project, Yeah, which is f- maybe fine part of a season, but I was doing, that was all my seasons all the time year mm-hmm. round for like the last two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and partially that was related to me feeling like I don't have much time left as a boulder. Mm. Um, you know, because everybody at my age goes trad dad or, or starts uh, sport climbing eventually, right? And that's right. not entirely true, but the narrative is kind of there. And so I think this year, because of the rains and because I started to somehow like realize that fact that I needed to just do some different things and maybe get in on some different stuff than I have always anticipated. And because I knew I needed to get on something, get on tall things and kind of push through that fear. It's like a whole new thing for me. All of that kind of just shook me out of that um, these kind of like narratives that I had told myself and that were spinning in my head over and over again that had no way out. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but that was kind of all of that together. Like I think doing into the void was like the moment where that all hit. Mm. Um, and then I killed a bat on the way back actually, which is like a weird punctuation point on the, on the thing. Killed a bat. Yeah. I like, uh, like a, like an, like a mammal, like an animal. Um, I like hit yeah. a bat with my car. I hit something with my car windshield and I could have swore it went up under the, the, the pads cause they were on top of the car. And then I got out that night and looked and there was nothing there. I was like, fine. And when I woke up the next morning, it was hanging by its claw, like stuck in the door of the passenger side and it had hung there overnight. And I think it probably froze to death. Oh, whoa. And I have no idea how that happened. Hmm. Um, it was really sad and yeah. bizarre. Dang. Um, it was like very metal. <laughs> yeah. so yeah i don't know that, that but yeah i think i think whatever i point i think about like the night that we did into the void as being like a night where i just suddenly broke through mentally um out of some of these like really bad self-talk traps that i was in mm. i've never taken the self-talk thing very seriously mm. i'm kind of like a love others hate yourself kind of person rage, rage hate die for life um but it turns out that can be bad if you let that really dominate your thinking <laughs> it's not great it's not great <laughs> yeah i took the joke too seriously that's funny yeah well i mean good job thanks yeah yeah for it's turning it around nice to be back around that's cool yeah that's really cool i'm sure my students will see it <laughs> in the fall yeah congrats on airstar thanks by the way thanks. yeah people like I, I think it was with uh I can't remember. It was with one of the groups of boys, the the Northeast boys yeah. that we had on the podcast. But one of, I think it was Austin, was like, Carlos's scent was the best. Like a bunch of people oh, have done Airstar wow. this year. And he was like, but Carlos's was the best. Oh, I haven't listened to that episode You could yet. just like tell that you put tons of time and work oh, into man. it and like the reward of it. And, that that I, that touches me a little bit. Um, man, those, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say kids, <laughs> even though they're not. <laughs> well, they're, they're 18. They're half my age, yeah, literally. 18 to 21. Um, I, was talking with them with, I was talking about them with Matias last night because uh, we were go, going up and hiking pads up to El Corazon and then going and looking at this stupidly tall dino he wants to do. Um, another scary thing. And like, 
they're all, I don't know, we just both agreed that their approach to climbing, like them and the group like Odin and all them, as well as like the Wheelers and their whole group and Adam, their approach to climbing is just so free flowing and fun. Mm. Um, and there's like a good mix of try hard and silliness and all that. And it just, it makes you think the kids will be okay. <laughs> um, it's, it's really special to like have yeah. that coming out and, and see them out there having fun. And, and um, I had like a half hour, 45 minute conversation with Ben and Noah about sci-fi and fantasy, which is super fun and dope. Um, yeah, I take a lot of heart in that whole, in that whole like generation that's mm. coming up because they're just, they're just badass and super nice, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, which is great. Yeah. They seem like really, really good people. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. But yeah, Airstar, that one, that one's important to me. Mm -hmm. That one's very important to me. I mean, it's, it's insane. Yeah. So mega. Yeah. I like realized when I was on top that I had no belief that I was ever going to do it. I couldn't believe wow. I was up there. I like had convinced myself that I was going to do it. And then when I was up there, I, could, I realized that I had been lying to myself the whole time. Because <laughs> uh, I'm like not brave. And that top move is scary. It looks scary. Um, and yeah, it was you... only us two. We had, um, yeah, I'd been out there with like 20 pads and that day we had seven. Um, so like a significant less and it was okay and it was safe. Yeah. Um, and I didn't yeah. need them in the end for the top move, but but yeah. Because there's like the the famous jump, like yeah. the drive-by jump, yeah. but then you have to like jump to the lip and it yeah. looks huge. It's still big and it's still committing and it's still probably somewhere between seven and V7 and nine. Wow. Um, depending on how you do it. Um, and and yeah, I mean, yeah, I never, <laughs> it's not really my cup of tea, uh, but apparently it's getting there. Nice. And so. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, yeah, that one, I saw a video of that one in 2009 for the first time. It must've been 2009. It's when Pure came out. Um, and just remember being like flabbergasted by the whole thing. And so mm. like nice long arc to get here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, I watched that film recently again, that Chuck Freiberger film pure. And, uh, I used to watch it all the time. I've watched it so many times and, but it's been a while and it was really shocking to, um, to just be reminded how much the levels gone up since that film. I mean, that was like what, 2000 seven or nine or yeah like i think some... it came out in nine which is yeah. the year i started climbing okay 2009 yeah and like most of the most of the boulders featured in that film are like v10 and 11 yeah. you know some 12s some 13s like maybe a mandala like 114 yeah but most of them are like v10 11 i'm like when was the last time a feature climbing film came out with boulders that i could actually do you know yeah, like yeah. that doesn't happen anymore yeah. that level's gone up huh? so high like now that film would be like all V14s and 15s, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's why I liked um, Specimen with, uh, what's his name? Cedar Wright. Cedar Wright. Yeah. He does um, Arbutsi Waco in Rocklands. Mm. And that was my project at the time, like when we watched it and his, he like epicked on it as well. And I was like, good. Me too. <laughs> that thing is hard. And it's like a V8. And yeah. like the, those oh, I haven't aren't tried in that climbing yet. That's, that's on my list. Oh, it's so yeah. good. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, I guess, yeah, it I was guess, nice to watch like someone else on the video try this V8 and just professional on it. climbing videos have become less relatable over time. Yeah. But I suppose like Instagram and things like that have filled in that that space yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Although it's not quite the same, like the production value and things like that's not quite <clears throat> the same, right? Mm -hmm. um, although I guess when I was watching Pure back in the day, it was also not relatable <laughs> to me uh, back then. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's really interesting as well. Yeah. Yeah, it was probably as unrelatable as like watching you know, Adam and Noah and Ben are yeah. now. <laughs> the yeah. whole thing's just moved upward. Yeah. And we will be right back. 
This episode is brought to you by Rumple. My Rumple blanket is literally one of my favorite things I own. It's so cozy. It's like having the coziness of a puffy sleeping bag with you wherever you go. Check out this story. On a surf and ski trip through California, the founders of Rumpel got stuck in the back of their car in freezing temperatures and had to bundle in their sleeping bags and sip whiskey to stay warm while they waited for rescue. Cozy and warm in their sleeping bags, they realized they were even cozier than they typically were in their beds at home. The idea for a sleeping bag blanket was born. Rumpel's original puffy blanket is made of the same materials as your favorite outdoor gear. It pairs durable 20D ripstop nylon with a durable water-repellent finish, so it's water-resistant, stain-resistant, and odor-resistant. This thing is the best. As I said, it's the coziest blanket you could ask for. Perfect for staying warm at the boulders or at the crag. Great for camping. I have one in my van and use it all the time. And just great to have around the house. It'll be your new favorite blanket, full stop, whatever the circumstances. Go to rumple.com slash nugget and use code nugget at checkout to get 10% off your order. That's 10% off your first order when you go to rumple.com slash nugget and use code nugget at checkout. This episode is brought to you by Wonderful Pistachios. You guys know that I mostly eat whole foods when it comes to my nutrition, and I'm always looking for good crag snacks to bring to the boulders or to the cliff, something with some substance to keep me fueled for hours and hours of climbing. Pistachios are known for their protein power, fiber, and better for you unsaturated fats for a combination that may help keep you feeling fuller longer than other snacks. And they're super convenient and so tasty. Their no-shell flavors include the classic roasted and salted, that's my favorite, super basic, I know. Salt and pepper, honey roasted, chili roasted, and smoky barbecue. They are all so good. You literally can't go wrong. Wonderful pistachios come in a variety of sizes, perfect for enjoying by yourself or with family or friends, or taking them with you on your climbing adventures. So whether you're hitting the gym after work or heading out on a weekend adventure, fuel up with a healthy and tasty snack. Check out wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more about how these little green wonders can power up your day. Again, that's wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. And now back to the show. Do you guys have, I, I've noticed something here that I need, I've, I realize like I need to work through. Um, I feel a lot more susceptible to like, um, outside influence or what, what am I trying to say? I feel like much more less than, and I'm, I'm getting trapped in a lot more like comparison games mm -hmm. than I thought I would, given that I've been climbing for as long as I have. And like, I know myself and I'm like pretty, you know, I'm like, I like who I am and I'm okay with where I'm at in my journey as a climber. But, um, the level here is so high. Everyone's climbing so hard it really can make you feel like you suck and just aren't doing anything. Do you guys struggle with that at all coming here? Or have you, have you learned how to work um, with that? Yes. And I always forget before coming here how bad it's going to be. And <laughs> this year especially though, like I was thinking when we came in 2017, maybe we didn't talk to as many people or we didn't know as many people, but it didn't seem to be that bad. Like I never 
you didn't hear of people doing like double digit days all the time, triple did not triple digits. That's hard to triple do. double digits. Yeah. Like you didn't hear about it as much. And I don't know if, if people just didn't or they probably still did, but this year especially has been really bad for it. So if this is your first year here and you're hearing it, just know that it's like, you're getting an especially like good year of people because- People crushing. Yeah. And I just always tell myself that this is like the top percentage of climbers that come here. Like mm -hmm. people who are doing it, if it's their first year in climbing or up to like five, first five years in climbing, they're probably not here. They're probably at their local areas. We're getting such a like narrow- group of climbers that are just just the top end people and like I don't know I was even I was warming up somewhere at, at roadside and there were some local Cape Town people and like it was their first year of climbing and mm. they were trying this um like 5c that just like another good climb and I was warming up on it and they were like in awe <laughs> and they yeah. were like asking me what grade I project and stuff. And I, they were like, everyone climbs so hard here. And I was like, yes. And I told them this whole thing like that, that there's nothing wrong with them. They are like, this climb is hard. Like the 5C is difficult. We kind of forget that sometimes that like, it's hard to be a human and still mm -hmm. do like V3s are hard. V2s are hard. Mm -hmm. And like seeing kind of how overwhelmed they were is pretty close to how I feel most days when we go to the hen house and everyone that night before has done a V12, V13. And you're like, I'm still projecting my like seven C plus, you know, like I've tried it 10 sessions this time and I can't do it still. I don't know. I just, it helps to not, to just remind yourself that you're human mm -hmm. and they might be aliens. <laughs> <laughs> It, it reminds me of, um, or it makes me think of like what it must be like to date a professional climber, oh, you know? Like terrible. I remember um, I was in St. George and I remember going up to like the cathedral or Wailing Wall or something and, and climbing around Shana Savoy and having some conversations with her. And, you know, of course mm -hmm. she was, she's now married to, but was dating Jonathan Segrist at the time, like the most prolific sport climber in America. And she's had this like rocket ship trajectory. Like she's gotten really strong pretty quick. But I remember she was like, I could tell that she thought she totally sucked. Yeah. You know, she'd reached like 13 C within a, her first few years of climbing. And because she was so immersed in this world of like the best of the best sport climbers, like going up to Potosi with all these guys that climb 515 and stuff all the time and training with them and whatever she like really thought she was bad and like was really slow at her progression. I was like, dude, you are so good. You've gotten so good so quickly, but that must be so rough to be in that space. And I, I feel like I'm getting caught up in that here where it just feels like if you're not climbing V13 every other week and, or every week and you're not flashing all the tens and 11s, like, what are you even doing here? Why do you even come? You know? <laughs> yeah. This is like, this is not, a good reflection of like climbing reality in general. Um, this is like the best place to be at this time of year anyways. So mm -hmm. everybody's coming here at some point or another in their, in their climbing careers. And then the in initial investment causes people to come in the best shape of their lives. I think in a lot of ways, right? right. There's a lot of motivation to train and things like that when they come. 
Um, and then their psych is super high and crazy high and all that type of stuff. Um, yeah, we've talked a lot about how like, it's like the, like the top 1% of climbers are here and it's like kind of wild. And it's amazing how many, uh, two things, like how many people I talk to who are, are much stronger than I am and will ever be still express a similar anxiety. Mm. It's not that uncommon to hear something similar. I think everybody's kind of reeling this thing in their head a little, not everybody, like maybe not like two guys. Well, yeah, no, I think Ethan feels that way. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. you hear it from everyone that like people come home and they'll be like, I did this V11, V12, V13. And you're like, okay. And they're like, but still I, I didn't do the V14. Yeah. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. ugh. Yeah. And then it's also like, what I think something that surprised me too, is how many times I'm talking to somebody and then you find out that they're like, and I, I don't follow these things, but they find out they're like a World Cup climber or something. They climb like, mm -hmm. like there's like the the level of people who have been doing this at a high level for a long time who are here. It's just such a microcosm that doesn't reflect like when we lived in Bishop, everybody in Bishop's like a badass mountain athlete. Not everybody, mm -hmm. but like a lot of people. There's like people running, you know, 50Ks up in the mountains. You're like, oh my God, what is everybody doing? Mm -hmm. And then we moved to Vegas and got a little bit more of a broad spectrum of the population. And and then you go to a, like a larger gym where there's, you know, people who are there who are because they're social climbers, who are just there to have fun, who maybe aren't committed to pushing themselves the way that we are, right? Which is fine. Mm -hmm. And they might be having a better time sometimes. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and so, yeah, you just start to, to realize that like, I mean, one thing that I've been thinking a lot about is how like V, V3, V5, th these, these are not easy things to do for the human body to do in general. Yeah. When we start talking about easy V13s, like it's, we've, a, we've hit some sort of like semantic apocalypse, <laughs> you know, in climbing <laughs> where, or, you know, like the jug thing, right? Everything's a jug, which, which I, you know, being facetious about, but it's true that, that we use that word a lot. Yeah. I'm kind of like everything's hilarious. The, or the everything's Beastmaker epic. Center Edge is a jug. Yeah, 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 exactly. Right. Um, so it's, it's very interesting. And it might be true for a small percentage of people. Right. Um, but everybody's kind of on their own, you know, I've been thinking a lot again about, and it's kind of cliche, but everybody's on their own journey, on their own path. And like, I can't really claim, nobody can really claim responsibility for the body they were given or for when they started climbing. Like that's, so there's a lot of luck involved with that. Mm -hmm. um, and so right before when I was really projecting Airstar early in the trip, I was telling myself like, look, you, you started when you were 24, 23, 24, that's what you got. Um, so let's see what you can do with that, you know, mm -hmm. like, like, like trying to really internalize the fact that, that, that you're just playing with the cards that you were given to a degree. Mm -hmm. Um, but the, I'm not super prone to self-comparison and like the social media and all that stuff here. It's not, it doesn't, it's pretty yeah. hard or yeah. to like comparison with others. I'm yeah, I'm usually not either. I'm actually like, I'm like disappointed in myself a little yeah. bit. I like me. It's, it's interesting. It's something I'm going to be thinking about and kind of unpacking, I think yeah. like for the rest of the trip and when I go home and stuff, like why, why is this? Yeah, why is why does this feel like a thing that's on my mind that I'm yeah. noticing that's like changing how I feel about myself? Like yeah. I don't want I don't want that. Yeah. Not only that, but like <clears throat> nowadays too, there's like kind of well, they're not new, but like all the apps or like websites that you go to to log your things or even Instagram, like posting the video of the send. And like people know you're out in Rocklands and like you feel after a while like if you don't have a video to post or something, people are going to know you're just not <laughs> sending things, uh -huh. which you start to feel like, oh, am I letting like these people who are looking down? But no, you're not. But yeah, just in itself, like logging the sends and seeing everyone who's out here, like logging all these V12, 13, 14s and stuff on like daily, mm -hmm. everyone's doing something mm -hmm. new. And it's, it's like gamifying it almost like, and there's more and more websites that you you can rank yourself on and see all this. And that's that's hard when you know you're out here, you have access to all these boulders. Like 
why can't you do all your projects in like two goes, you know, what's wrong with you? But I don't know. Letting it go this year for me has been a big thing. And I think that's why I mentioned I like this year has just been a joy because I struggled a lot with this last year and it mm. was, I don't know, it was hard. But then I realized I went home. No one cares. <laughs> I, you know, like I went back into school, did my training and was back out here before I knew it. Still trying the same projects and no one's going to care if I go home and send one thing, 10 things or zero things, mm -hmm. you know, like, mm -hmm. I don't know. But like coming out my first year and doing projecting Tusumi, this like 60 plus and like calling the librarian was my first outdoor 7A. And now I'm like trying Caroline, which I've looked at forever and is like a gorgeous climb. And there's no taking away that for me. There's no mm -hmm. like, no matter how many like V15 someone is doing, I'm proud of them and it's awesome for them but I'll be in my Caroline cave, you know, and I'll be happy. And that's what gets me through the days. Mm -hmm. yeah, in some ways, climbing culture is like centralizing. <clears throat> the hen house is a really good example of that. You like go to the hen house and I don't know where else you go where you get this many climbers in one place. Like Black Sheep Coffee used to be like that in Bishop. Mm -hmm. And maybe there are other places too um, that I haven't been, but um, between like the social media and all that stuff, like climbing culture is, is centralizing. There's more access to it than ever, but it's also becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. We watched, uh, the world cups the other night, part of the world cups the other night. Um, I think the lead, the women's lead. Um, and I don't really follow that stuff very closely because I, I, when I started climbing, I had no idea there were competitions and stuff that were happening. I, I was like taught to climb by like weird, weird trad climber people in Bakersfield, California, of course. And so it's like, as, as it becomes more of a thing, and you, you probably know more about this because you're um, engaged in climbing culture much more through, through your work. Um, as it becomes more of a thing, it seems to have more gravity and more weight. And then we all feel that weight a little bit more and that mm -hmm. type of thing, right? It becomes more, it becomes more important, more serious, it matters more. Um, all the stuff that's external that we're talking about, like um, the commercial aspects, the gamification, the apps, the logging, the other people's stuff, all that stuff's external to your own uh, like experience in climbing. But the larger that stuff becomes, because climbing itself hasn't changed that much, really. Like the actual thing you're doing on the rock um, hasn't changed all that much. There's just a lot more other stuff to think about, fans and skincare and all this stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. I get all nostalgic for the day that I like, like just climbed till I bled all the time. <laughs> um, and that's, I think that stuff exerts like, wait, you only have so much in my, I mean, this is kind of my like pet theory, but you only have so much mental energy. Like mental energy is not an infinite resource. And so the more of it that's being taken up with other things, the less of it you have to like apply to the thing that you want to be doing. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder if some of that has to do with it as well. So, I don't know. It's hard. It's, it's like not a bad thing that climbing culture is, is growing big. I'm like a relatively new climber. I'm like not, I had a friend who was like a generation before me and he stopped going to Bishop because he just hated how many people there were. And that's super sad for him mm -hmm. to just miss out on that. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, it's a good thing that climbing is growing that way. But I think for a lot of us, we have to kind of learn how to deal with with, you know, the 17 year old that flashes your projects. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, no, it's interesting. I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm kind of like understanding my own feelings a little bit better right now, which is like, of course the 17 year old is going to flash my project. Like that's always been a thing. You as know, it should be. 12 year olds, as it should be like that, that doesn't bother me. I think, I think the thing that actually is like kind of deeply unsettling is like feeling like I'm not progressing at the same rate that the sport is progressing as a whole. It doesn't matter that I'm like five grades below the actual like upper ceiling, you know, um, five or six grades below. That doesn't matter. It's the fact that like progressing seems, progression seems to be happening so fast and the level seems to be climbing so fast. It's like leaving me behind mm. maybe. 
Do you think that reflects reality, that feeling? I don't know. I think it's just, I think it's just maybe touches on like a frustration that I have with, with my own like pace of progression. Mm. That's like been a long time thing for me. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think that's what it ultimately comes back to is like, I want to progress. I want to get better. And I wish it were happening quicker, but we all want that. Like that's, that's just, you know, impatient and immature and. One thing that our that climbing culture has picked up from like other all, all I'm I'm talking specifically in an American context. I don't know how many of your listeners are outside of that. Um, is like this 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 like obsession with speed and newness, right? Like we love to hear about the climber who climbs V10 in their first year or mm. V10 in their first two years, which is super rare. Um, but it feels less rare because that's where all the media is, kind of thing, right? And so I just, I, I wonder if you were to actually be able to get all the data and all the information, like what that actually looks like, what people's trends actually look like, you know, mm-hmm. how many people have, and how many people who are climbing really hard, like V14 or whatever, have been climbing V14 for a decade or something, you know, like, like how often is that actually the case? Um, Cause that's pretty interesting actually, <clears throat> like this, but I don't know, I, most of the articles I read and things like that, I don't read a ton of climbing articles anymore, actually. Um, I've got too much reading to do in my schoolwork. Um, you know, the story about the person who progresses really fast is a, is a, is a, is good story, right? It's a good Mm -hmm. story we like to hear. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure it's a normal story. Well, the irony is I'm not even like inspired by it. You know, I'm not, I'm I'm way more inspired by like the Martin Kellers out there. I don't know if I should pluralize that because maybe he's, he's the only one (laughs) because he's a total legend, but you know, like he, he has finally climbed like 8C plus, but it took him forever. Yeah. And it was just a slow yeah. and steady grind. And he's just like, I, he just loves the process. So he yeah. just persists. I think both better. for both Carlos and I too, we are on like the slow progression. Like we, <laughs> the very slow progression. Like we, <laughs> we just kind of like are good at being consistent and that's about it. Like we'll always be at the gym yeah. when we need to be there no matter the day or like how we feel, we'll be there. And so kind of get like, I don't know, it's, I've been climbing for nine years and I'm just now doing my first V10s, which like for some people, yeah, they do in their first two years of climbing and that's fine. But for us also, it keeps us from, I don't know, me at least, like it keeps me from getting, not bored, but I think if you progress too quickly or like, it's not as fun anymore. I don't know. We also don't get injured as much because we're, we're just like very respectful of like how our bodies feel. And like the fact that we're not like, I'm not trying V15s when my fingers aren't ready for it and stuff. Like it's slow, but it's consistent. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's one thing I can look forward to. Like, I know that if I just keep showing up, like I'll just still be able to climb. And whether that means I'm doing V12s five years from now or not, like you can't, no one can take that away from me. Like the, the progress I've built thus far is a pretty steady base. And mm. like V10s are still hard, but I know that it's there because I've built up to it. It's not some like fluke. It's, mm. it'll always be at that base. And I think for in Rocklands, it doesn't seem like it, but I think for the normal population of climbers, that's a more realistic way to go about it. Yeah, I think I think like it really depends on your approach too. Like some people are in it for the for the dopamine hit, right? Like they want to send, they want to feel good, and that's a lot of fun. Those are dinos for me. I love to go out and do some dinos, and every now and then I'll go do a dino day because it feels good because um, I'm suffering on my project. 
And Steph in particular likes to pick things that are like really hard for her and then work herself to it. Um, and so she develops this relationship with these climbs that becomes really meaningful. Because meaningful for me watching her and going out with her all the time to when she does these things. Um, and she always does. Um, and then even like, you know, when I came here for the first time in 2016, I watched all these videos and I made this list of boulders that I was inspired by, um, but that I had no chance on that year and no chance on for the next five years. And that, that list became like my inspiration for going to the gym and for working. And I, I, I literally thought of it as changing myself to be able to do those boulders, mm. um, which was necessary. And Air, Airstar is one of those, right? And so, and so it just kind of depends on, on what you're in for and, and why you, like what inspires you as a climber. I don't think there's any right or wrong answer. Um, but, you know, for me, say like Shasha Loza was, was a really good example. I tried Shasha Loza a lot and it's like the, one of the best climbs in the world. Um, and, and like the fact that it took me so long and the fact that I had to train for it and the fact that I had to build myself up to it and the fact that I was trying it well before I had um, any real like right, quote unquote, to be on it before I was strong enough is all part of now the feeling and the memory I have when I think mm. back about it, right? Um, it's, again, it kind of goes back to that deep relationship with things like we were talking yeah, about yeah. before, you know? Mm. Um, it's just, it's just a, a, little, a little different. And I don't, again, I don't think it's right or wrong necessarily. Um, but every, I think in the end, well, I guess everybody, everybody has that experience available to them. Because even like the people who are sending things really hard, really fast, they're going to be boulders that don't go down for them like that. Mm. Um, you know, maybe except for the top 0.01%. There's going to be boulders that will challenge them and things, you know, and, and, and whether or not you have the wherewithal to keep going back and to believe. It's a very different skill yeah. um, in a lot of ways. So we, we kind of like that. I mean, and, but to be honest, I didn't have much of a choice because climbing was always hard from the very beginning. I guess that's yeah. the thing. Yeah. We don't have a choice anyways. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so instead of banging our head on it, I just accept yeah. it and mm. enjoy that climbing yeah. and just watch everyone else and watch them enjoy what they're doing. You yeah. know, like I, that's what com it comes down to. Like, we don't really have a choice. Yeah. We try, we do our I best. I spent an entire that. season projecting Solarium. Um, back in the day Solarium's in Keychon Classic. <laughs> and nice. so like, like my experience has been that Keychon way since V4 is up. hard as fuck. It's so good. Yeah. I love I that. I didn't fun. do that until many years into my Bishop yeah. trips, I think. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And, you know, we lived in Bishop and you see Bishop's, you know, not the same as here, but people come from all over the world to climb in Bishop. So you see people all over the place and they're on different paths and different journeys. And, and, and you see people who are there looking for the thing they can do. Uh, which is fine if you're, you know, you had a short trip and you want to finish things and that. And then you you see that one person who's been under the same boulder, like my buddy Bryant, for you know six years. I um, mean, he's probably going to do it one day. And you see that as well. And then they're they're different experiences and they diverge um, a little bit, but they're all available to us um, mm. within climbing, which is one thing that makes climbing so fun. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Um, but you know, for whatever reason, from the very beginning for me, climbing was has always been really hard. I don't think I came into climbing naturally like good at it. And then yeah. the climbs that I wanted to do were way out of my league and yeah. required the work, you know? No, it, it is interesting. Like you're, you guys are both totally right. I think the frustration that I've always kind of carried is directly connected to why, to how much I love climbing yeah. and why it like captured me so much more deeply than a lot of my peers. Like I remember in college feeling like a lot of my friends either got better quicker or got got better than me at the same pace or put less work in to be at the same level as mm -hmm. me. And that was always kind of frustrating. Um, but I think I'm the only one who's like really stuck with climbing, who still really, really loves it. And, you know, I mean, they're, they're all happy. They're all doing their own things. So it's, it's all good. But, um, 
but I, th- I think I was fascinated because I was like, this is really fucking hard. I have to figure this out, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and it is, it is more, it's so rewarding when you have that like layered multi-year relationship with the climb where it's like, <clears throat> you know, my first 13A was like that. It was like, um, this route at this crag called Equinox and, you know, in the Northwest, like out in the middle of the woods, an hour from Bellingham. And I remember the first time I went to the crag, I, I hadn't climbed, I don't think I'd red pointed 511 yet, but I saw someone climbing on that thing. And I was like, what is that? And they're like, oh, that's black magic. It's 13A, you know? And I was like, oh, <laughs> brain blast. And it looks so cool. And so um, it wasn't that much later that I did it, maybe like two or three years later, but um but you know that's that's a completely different experience than walking up with the level to do something and being yeah. like, oh, that thirteen day looks cool. Yeah, I'll try it. Oh, cool, did it third try. You know, sweet. Next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you come <clears throat> on a trip like coming here and say you're like capable of flashing D thirteen, right? There's like like the access to things here is crazy. You're just going to run through things, of course, right? Whereas Steph and I have like been working our way through the grades here in particular. I think the rest of our climbing year is just training for here. Even when we were living in Bishop, we just mm. like I. I climb my best and try my hardest here just because that's how I, I spend my I think about my whole year mm-hmm. um but yeah I mean when I when I when I first came here I had done I think two v11s or something like that um and and so I've been like growing as a climber in conjunction with this place and so my experience has been very different than somebody who comes here and, and is already at that level like you're saying right um and again it's not about right or wrong experience it's just different but you know, there's a part of me that desires that other experience, that wishes that was my experience. Um, but that ship has sailed, I think, <laughs> for me, you know, especially for here in this particular place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, and in some ways like that, the way that we compare experiences to other people, like nobody else's experiences is ever fully available to us, no matter what, because there's so much uniqueness in each individual, climate yeah. or otherwise, right? Right. Um, but the stories that we tell, the stories that we ingest, the stories that people tell about themselves, which never actually reflect reality, they're always stories. Um, that's what stories are and they're always edited and they always don't include the anxieties and all that type of stuff that they have with them and the failures that they have there, which there have to be, cause that's just how the world and life works. Um, you know, it's, it's like, it's like a weird trick of our brains that we get so engrossed in other people's stories that we want to live those stories. Mm. That's why stories are so effective to a degree. But when something like climbing is so important to you, um, when something like climbing, you know, has become something that's so that, I don't know, that becomes like a defining feature of your life it gets really complicated with those other stories. And now with social media and all that type of stuff, the availability and the way that we ingest those stories is getting way more complicated. Um, And our brains just, our smart monkey brains just aren't capable of really handling that stuff very well. Uh, Unless you're trained um, to think about stories or think about everything as stories, which is how I'm trained. Mm. And even then it fails all the time um, because climbing is too important (laughs) Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that comparison thing, I don't know. I had like a weird thing because I, I never considered myself a, a good or strong climber. And so everything was always cherry on the top of the cake, right? And that was a really nice place to be. And at some point a few years ago, I was like, oh, I'm not that bad. I'm okay. And then it got my mentality, my mental game just tanked and it was terrible. <laughs> Once I started to think of myself that way, you know, and it, I don't know what it was. Um, and I haven't really figured it out yet, but mm. I know for a fact that when I thought that I should be able to climb a thing, it was way less fun than like the opportunity to climb that thing, mm. if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's all that's also interesting. Um this is I don't know if this connects to it, but I, I'm I'm also I've been thinking a lot about like 
my trip so far and how I feel about this place because it's different than I expected. Not not worse, not better, just different than I expected. Um, I think something I've learned about myself or or have been noticing is, you know, going back to this idea of connecting with depth to a place. I've always really sought that in my climbing. So even if I'm not going to be somewhere very long, I really like to try to do as many things as I can. I want to like really experience what that place has Mm -hmm. to offer up to the, you know, up to my ceiling. Um, so I've climbed out a lot of crags up to like the ceiling of what I can do. Cause I just, I'll go do the obscure 512 over here or the V3 at this boulder crag over there that no one ever does, you know? And like Waco, my first season in Waco, I think I did like 150 new boulders on North or something, you know, I just went around and wanted to do everything. And then the second year I was like, I can focus on projects. I don't need to run around and do as much because I've, I've done that, you know, and coming here, um, it hasn't worked that well to do that just with how spread out everything is and logistics and how many pads you need and the group and all that stuff, which is fine. But, um, I'm learning, like I need to totally shift my mindset, you know, like I went and looked at Moisty Maisie a couple days ago and it's like, probably it's like the sickest V13 I've ever looked at as far as like, it's beautiful. It seems like it would suit me really well, like better than any other V13 I've ever looked at. That's enough inspiration to want to come back next year. But I'm like, am I going to come back to the land of rocks with like 7,000 boulder problems for one climb? Like that's absurd. You know, obviously I'll I'll try other stuff, but like, but no, that's actually like where my inspiration is at more than coming here to try to do as much as I can. Cause it feels, it just feels like you'll never even scratch the surface here. So almost not what's the point, but it's just different, you know, yeah. like I, I can't get to know this place the way that I've gotten to know North Mountain on Waco or a lot of other places. It puts new meaning to like the lifetime's worth of climbing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like actually means that. It actually means that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, a, it'd be, it would, Nolly's come here for like 15 years, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we joke like all the one time. Of the strongest climbers in the world. We joke all the time that we're coming every year till we're dead. Um, <laughs> and I don't think it's that much of a joke, actually. Every season we come out, though, is a completely different experience. Yeah, mm. Like, true. I That's can cool. list, like, I know, like, the feeling of every year we've been out here. And they're all just different, just based on, yeah, what, what climbs you're projecting that year. Like, there's, like what areas you mainly go to. We spent a lot of time at Riverside last season and like only some this time. We haven't even gone up to What was the climb last year? It was Moisty. Moisty. Oh, it It was. was He came back for that climb. You did it in the dark on your last day. Yeah. If you watch the video, I'm like, I'm like, like the scream that I give at the end and I cut it off because I was up there for a while. Some guys came up afterwards and they were like, we thought somebody broke their leg. Um, It's just like, it's, it's just like relief. Like like less joy and more. And it's, 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 and I still have very fond memories of the climb. It's like the, it's such a beautiful climb. It yeah. It climbs so well. Right. But my, my, I wasn't there for the climb in right. a lot of ways. Although yeah. I guess I did it in the end. Yeah. Um, Steph, like this year we went to, like went by it and stuff. I was like, do you want to go say hi to it? And I was like, no, fuck no, I don't want to go see it. And I haven't gone and looked at it. Um, which is really weird. Too much weird. inner turmoil. Uh, yeah. It's such a, br- it just like, like broke my spirit hardcore that climb. Wow. Yeah. Um, like halfway yeah. through the trip, I just mm. like melted um, and then, and then rebuilt a bit, mm. um, which is nice. Yeah. Sorry, sorry to cut you yeah, off there. No, so. but like, basically, it is overwhelming in the number of climbs that you have here. But the, we always have every year we have like the things that are constant, like the hen house, where we stay, the people we see every year, like 
we just have a friend group that we just see here from all over the world. Other people have committed then, to this place too. Yeah. And then since this Rocklands is just so big and vast and so many climbs, you also like never get bored of where you're climbing or what you're doing. Like it's a mix of like kind of having that variety, but also having those constants and those people and the relationships you've built. And so, no, no, that's why, I think that's why we love it so much here is you can't, you, there's never like a day where you don't have something new to do or like new to try if you want mm. or yeah, it's good. What have you guys learned over seven trips each <laughs> about, um, about like just living here and how to get the most out of your time here in general, not, not necessarily about performance in the climbing, but, um, I don't know if, you know, I usually ask like, what do you wish you knew mm. for the first trip? But, you know, maybe, maybe you just had to have the experiences that you had, but what if, what do you guys try to do now, um, you know, more recently in, in the last couple of trips to get the most out of your time here? Out of our three months. Here. <laughs> this is an especially long trip. I don't know. Um, you, you mind if I jump no. in? We, so we've, we've, we've gone to Cape Town, but we've gone to like the aquarium. We've gone to the natural history museum. We've gone to the district. Is it district six? District oh, nine? in terms of South district Africa? Six. Yeah. Right. Oh, we've, yeah. we've, we've like, we've tried to engage with the culture a little bit. Um, we've gone to Dewoop this year to go see where the Southern right whales are calving right now and having, and you can just like, we'll sit there on the ocean and eat lunch and watch like 30 whales out there. Wow. Um, you know, we got really lucky in 2021 when we came um, it was still a little weird to travel in 2021 and we were uncertain if people were going to be unhappy that we were here and they were super psyched. But because there weren't a lot of travelers here, we met a lot of, um, you know, we met a lot of South Africans who are now our friends. Some of them are going to come visit us in the States this coming year. Um, and so, and then for me, I'm always like, you know, I'm, I, part of my dissertation is going to be on South African spe speculative fiction. And so I've read like that, you know, Leopold, um, there's that grave, right? A Leopold who wrote a series of novels about the initial so-called independence that happened in the Cedarburg Valley, like what was going on in the Cedarburg Valley, like in the early 1900s. Um, and I've read all those books. And so that kind of stuff, like kind of engaging with the history and things, that's always been important. That's kind of that depth of, of thing. But South Africa has such an interesting, in a lot of ways, like a history that's really indicative of a lot of the problems we still see in the world. Um, and it's really fresh, like apartheid mm. is not that old. Yeah. Um, a lot of the people that we see when we go to the grocery store were, were alive during that period of time. Can't say the same thing about any of us for the civil rights movement and for slavery in the United States, right? Um, and, and, and as a developed country, um, there's a lot of opportunity for us to learn about that type of stuff and to learn about how you know, global economics works and what we can do and, and, and how, like, like what ethical tourism can potentially look like if it's even possible. That's like another question. I know some people don't agree that it's even possible. And certainly coming here, we're leveraging the strength of the dollar in some ways. Um, one of the things we hear all the time is how affordable everything is, right? Mm -hmm. um, which is, which I don't know what that feels like for South Africans to hear when they're here. Mm. Um, and so we've tried to make up like the time to kind of visit the different areas and go see different places and talk to different people um, <clears throat> and then read different books um, and engage with the culture, like, like in the global Anglophone world, which is my field in literature, South Africa is like huge. And so like Nadine Gordimer since the seventies, I think won a Polish prize, right? She's like one of the great, she's a great South African writer who wrote against apartheid. And now you have all these great speculative fiction writers or filmmakers coming out here. I think Neil Blomkamp is from Johannesburg. 
Um, is that his name? The guy who did District 9? Is it District 9? I always get the District 6 yeah. and 9 mixed up um, from the movie and from the actual place. District 9 is the movie. Yeah, so District 6 is the place here that's like kind of indicative of the history of, of the mm. townships and things like that. Um, and so it's just like, it's a really interesting, varied culture that I don't know enough about, even though I'm going to be doing part of my dissertation and I need to learn about. Um, but and like Cape Town itself has so many fun things to do that are educational and things like that. We're big, we're nerds though. So like we're big on that type of thing. Um, but then even living here and like being in the Cedarburg in the Valley itself, um, the Cedarburg itself has like a really interesting history. Like Roy Boyce only comes from the Cedarburg. Tolkien, if I understand correctly, spent a little bit of time here when mm. he was like four years old or something like that and like had some sort of memories about it that influenced the way he wrote about um, some things in, in Lord of the Rings. Um, like the influence, the global influence of South Africa is really interesting. And there's like, it's really incredibly lucky that we get to come here and spend our time here and that these farms have been, been able to shift from like a, a drought that kind of ruined their farms to accommodations for climbers. Um, I don't, the, the amount of luck that we have in getting to be here, um, I, I think some responsibility comes with that luck in a lot of ways. Yeah. And that's something that maybe I was realizing when I first came here, but I wish I thought about when I was traveling in Asia and South America when I was younger, like that idea of, 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 of responsibility towards a place. And sometimes that's as simple as reading a history of the place, like learning about the, the learning about the place. I mean, I guess you can watch a Nelson Mandela movie, um, but he's also written several books and there's like quite a lot of history on the place, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what, where your question through me is, is, is the culture itself is more than just the climbing. The climbing mm -hmm. is such a small portion of it. That's not really accessible to a large majority of the, of the population out here, unfortunately. Right. Mm, yeah. Um, and so like things like the, um, the school here did fundraisers and stuff like that. Right. Like little things that you can do like that, I think are, are matter quite a lot. And I, I really hope climbers are stepping up to do those simple, small things. Um, that don't cost a lot for us, but mean a lot for the local area. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that answered your question. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I got off a little ranty. No. That, that, well, it's weird great. for us too, because we are out here for so long. Like if you're out here for two weeks, like you're pretty lucky to, you know, like that's what a lot of people just get on vacation is like two, three weeks. And so yeah. um, we, it's kind of hard because there is so much climbing. Everyone wants to do it all too. So it's like, how do you even justify one day in Cape Town if you're yeah. trying to climb at every crag, do everything, have a group of people. Yeah. I but you know. can read July's people. Yeah. You can read um The Raft by Stringham, yeah. which is a great speculative Reading fiction novel that I just think is mm -hmm. brilliant and everybody should read it. Um my new goal in life is to make everybody read that book. Say um, the name again. The Raft. Uh, by uh, Fred Strindum. 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 Yeah. I always say it wrong. I mispronounce everything in South African uh, like in Afrikaans <laughs> incorrectly. Um and so, yeah, because like I think those, I mean, I, I study literature, obviously. Um, I think those things matter. Like, even if you can't do something while you're here, like go to a place because there's accessibility issues with that. Learning about a place itself does matter quite a lot. Um, and I think is really important, especially when, you know, there's kind of an extractivist, like, thing that happens in tourism. It's really weird, tourism itself. Um, and there's a lot of, like, ups and downs, a lot of arguments in every direction about tourism. Um, and I tend to end up on the positive side of things personally hmm. and when it comes to tourism. Um, I think maybe because both I have immigrant parents and they like encouraged me to travel to new places and that was an important part of my upbringing. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, in, in more like practical things, you know, I think, I think when, so when I first came here, I didn't get Wi-Fi the first day I arrived, so I couldn't message my mom <laughs> and my mom freaked out. Right. And she and I've traveled all over the place without Wi-Fi and I've been all over the place. I would travel to by myself and she never flipped out. And my family, no news is good news. 
And so my mom, though, I think because it's Africa, had like this kind of notion about it. That's mm -hmm. what that's what T said. Um, and so I think like some people, you know, as because it's so far away and the travels and it seems like such a distant place. It seems like it would be so different, but it's really not that hard when you get here. Um, like there's a supermarket, there are gas stations everywhere. The rental car is fine. Uh, Cape Town is a, is a is like you can. It's like not like in terms of logistics, it's not that bad. And I think um, a lot of people get it up in their head that it's going to be a lot scarier or worse than it is or something. And it's really mm -hmm. not. Mm -hmm. um, it's actually quite a lot of fun. Yeah. 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 And so like I, you know, I have friends who are always asking me for beta for the place and things like that and where to rent a car and all that type of stuff. And I have like a little write-up that I can give you if you want for your for your listeners that I like just give out to people now. Because <laughs> um, I've been asked so do. many times. Huh? <laughs> of yeah, course you do. Yeah. And yeah. so, um, and so, yeah, I, yeah, logistically, it's not that difficult other than getting a place to stay. You have to start out really early on because mm -hmm. <laughs> it's getting so busy these mm -hmm. days. Yeah. Yeah. It, it stresses me out a little bit that I feel like I have to decide now yeah. if I want to come back next year. I'm like, oh, I don't like to plan that far ahead, but. I mean, next year will come though, and you're going to be psyched when you have a place to stay. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And it's all figured sure. out. Yeah. They let us, they let us book. I think they've booked our caravan like the next four years over <laughs> in, in alpha they just like they just like that's amazing. tentatively book it for us every year nice um we've spent so much time there now over a year's worth of weeks in that one caravan wow that's yeah. incredible that's pretty lucky do you have things to add as far as like making the most of the experience here mm. it's kind of it kind of feels like a big like summer camp sometimes here it's like it pretty, i feel like when you're here it's pretty easy to like get recommendations and see like what everyone loves doing especially like that year this year it's a big like deep water solo year and like everyone's doing that going to see the wildflowers um yeah for me it's definitely more doing those things that i appreciate nowadays and like then the days that i am focusing on my projects like it's not like all consuming all the time. And, but I know that we're lucky to come here for so long to be able to take like, yeah, to go explore like the hoop, the nature reserve and stuff. Not everyone can do that. So. Don't bother with the penguins. They're gross. Yeah. The penguins are <laughs> gross. They're, they're like fish are gross and birds are gross. And turns out fish birds are disg <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> That's my hot take. <laughs> we went and saw the penguins a few years ago. I was like, this is, this just smells bad. It and smells terrible. It smells terrible. I, I went there too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, no. <laughs> Skip the penguins. Go to the planetarium. Planetarium's dope. Planetarium. Okay. Go to the Natural History Museum. Um, that place is incredible. Um, do you guys do that? Like, do you take breaks in the middle of your long trip to go to Cape Town, or do you just, do you do stuff on the way in and the way out? Um, on the way here, after the flights, I booked us like a night at in Citrusdale at the Baths, and just so we would have like a nice place to stay and go in the hot tubs and stuff. But we knew we liked those baths but um we used to go to cape town more but we've kind of done all the things we wanted to do in cape town and so that's why this year i looked um to places east of cape town to see what was there along that coast and so i found us just like really simply found us an airbnb and like saw what was around there and got recommendations from james and becky at the hen house to go to De hoop the nature reserve and like even that you're, you take a different route than you would go towards Cape Town. So you skip it all like completely. And I think both of us just had a blast driving through the new places and like mm. seeing a different South Africa than we see every year driving through the Cedarburg and like seeing places east of Cape Town and just like 
kind of all that's different in South Africa. It was, it was just awesome. It's a big country. Yeah. And so there's like a lot of variety. Um, we haven't so, even left the Western Cape though. No, like there's yeah. one day I want to drive up to Namibia. There's a Cape Namibia route. That's like six hours north of here and like you can go there the corner of like botswana namibia and south africa has a really cool like water-based nature reserve or like uh i guess it's a game reserve but like even stuff like that outside of cape town if you're not a big city person you can do and and there's like never get enough a small winery in an area nearby here that's called algeria um where you can go do tastings and it's like super fun and maybe a little sketchy driving back because you probably had too much wine and so maybe have a driver um and then there's like the coast is not that far we had friends who did the namibia trip this year um and yeah so we used to break up our trip every time we'd go like spend four or five days in cape town because we'd be here for a while and needed a break this year it was a little funky 2021 was obviously funky because of covid and so we didn't do it that year. And then last year we had a bit of a shorter trip because we needed to be back in town. And this year the rains ruined everything. <laughs> so mm. we felt like we lost a month of our trip. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I ended up taking the time off a little later to go. Um, we're pretty spontaneous about it though. Like yeah. I'll book it. If I know we're going to take two rest days and it's going to be hard to take those rest days, um, I'll just book us a trip for that time. And like nothing here is very expensive. And so it's, like not too much to be paying for your accommodation and the place you're going to. And I don't know, it's we've never it's been to Kruger. good to take a break from the climbing sometimes yeah. when you're out here for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to see what else the, like the country and the culture has to offer in terms of learning and, and seeing things. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> That's becoming more important to me as I get older. Mm. Um, it's always been kind of important to me because I've always been like a history nerd and a literature person, not all that stuff. So I've always liked that type of thing. I've always been like a museum person. Um, ever since I was like a child, I think was my earliest memories, my mom taking me to the Air and Space Museum in LA, um, which I really liked, always really liked. So that type of stuff is cool. Um, and I know people do that type of stuff and they go surfing and things like that. Um, but I think it's worth it. I think mm. it's worth it um, checking that type of stuff out. We get so, like climbing is like almost, I mean, this is a hot take, almost like a religion where we like, the more into climbing you are, the better type of thing, right? We get like, we like, we like really like to get all encompassed in climbing and like just turn your entire life into climbing which i've certainly done Um, we also like to show the world that we are into climbing like getting all the gear wearing all the clothes and stuff like it kind of shows your devotion to this sport and like Uh it's okay to step away from that sometimes you know and just be a different human yeah (laughs) living in vegas has been good for that because in bishop there's nothing to do but go mountaining mm. um but in vegas you know like friends come and they want to go to the strip or something and like i'm it's like I, i'm like have to be convinced to go to the strip um and then it's it's hilarious and kind of fun to go people watching things like that right so it's been it's been and then school going back to school has been really interesting um like it's nice to have this other part of my life that's actually like complements climbing as opposed to taking away from it in a lot of ways um and so yeah i do i think it's nice to like especially with the opportunity to visit different countries and see different places, um, especially a place that's so far and, and that so the history is so different, even though connected to our history in the United States. Um, it can be really nice, I think, to, to take that opportunity. Yeah. I don't know if that answers your question. Either. It did. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> what about, what about your, do you guys think of like, does this, does this kind of um, highlight, is this a highlight in your year? Well, obviously it is. Okay. What am I trying to ask? Like, do you plan your whole climbing year around this trip? Is that how you think of it? Yeah. So we'll go home now and in September, pretty much September when the school year starts ish, 
we'll start like our training cycles. And then we have like two 12 week training cycles that are based mainly around like the second training cycle will end in May, right before we come on this trip. But the first training cycle ends when we get our first, when we get our winter break, but that's never the main goal. It's always, yeah. <laughs> it's always Rocklands. Where do you, um, you do, you go, do you guys go to Waco? Or are you going to go back to Waco on your winter break? Every or stay year we kind of plan like, we either plan Bishop, like a Bishop trip or like, yeah, Bishop, but it's been really rainy these last few years. So mm. no matter what we've planned, it's kind of been like <clears throat> useless. And we've just been climbing in Vegas when we can, when it's not raining. Um, or we just keep climbing in the gym. And so it ends up just being more about Rocklands, mm. you know, just like when we know we're for sure going. Wow. Two 12 week training blocks. And that takes you all the way back around to yeah. your next mm. trip. And we, That's when we amazing. lived in Bishop, you know, I would usually we have, we have five weeks off every winter. Um, and so like this year we're going to Japan, but that's like a, a honeymoon. And so it's like, we'll, we'll do a little climb, bit of climbing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but maybe more gym climbing than anything else. Cause it's going to be freezing cold and the we gyms asked, there seem like their own thing. We asked Satoshi, he's out here and he, he's from Tokyo. And we asked him what his favorite gym was. And I thought I would get an answer. And he was like, <clears throat> I don't know. There's hundreds. And I was like, oh, this is <laughs> yeah. going to be difficult. Wow. Yeah. But yeah, when we were in Bishop, we were like, I would, I would usually stop training in mid November and then wouldn't start training until February. So I had like a little performance period in there. Um, and so I usually had some projects in Bishop or something. Um, and in Vegas, it's kind of the same thing, right? I have, I'll have a project like this year it was Buka 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 in Moe's. No, I actually don't project that much in in Vegas because it's kind of the the it's kind of hard. Like you need pads, you need people. Like it's like one boulder, forty five minute hike. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that to be difficult when climbing with a partner too. Mm-hmm. Um, or we've been to Waco a few times, stuff like that. Um, but the more I've come back here, then the more that like even when we were living in Bishop, Bishop just became training for <laughs> for here, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, I think I think the more and more we've come become committed to Rocklands, the more that we kind of orchestrated our whole year. And we're, again, we're lucky with the way that our work works with school um, so that we can like be peaking and in shape as much as possible here. Um, and it's just nice because we don't have, even even when, you know, when you're projecting and you have work to worry about, all that kind of stuff requires like, take some energy and things like that. And here during our summers off, I'm usually doing some work. She's usually doing some work, but it's on our own time. It's all related to the next coming school semester. And so it's like much more laid back. It's just much easier for us to get like invested in projects and try hard and stuff while we're Mm -hmm. here Mm -hmm. as opposed to during the year. Um, And so, yeah. It's easier during the year to just put your head down and train when you've got school and work to think about. So you kind of just in your brain tell yourself like, okay, I'm doing this now. And then in Rocklands, I can focus on projecting and like, yeah. It's also indicative of like the end of another school year and like another big accomplishment done. And so winter doesn't really feel that way as much that five weeks off because you're just kind of getting a breath before you start spring semester again. Um, but Rocklands is like the time where we're done and we can breathe again and, and enjoy yeah. climbing some more. Yeah. yeah. Five weeks in the winter. That's a, you guys have like a perfect set up teachers have got it good that's really yeah. teaching is i'm like always trying this to sell teaching at accident. people no <laughs> everyone and I, should become a teacher and I, I mean stand I think, in a circle and teach each I other i think teaching is the best yes. um and we could use more mm. <laughs> and so yeah um, and again i you know i teach college it's a different experience for middle school teachers and there I've, I've had some pushback from people who think like i'm too idealistic about teaching i a lot a lot and that's probably true and they can go like fuck them i think that like 
I just think it's, I just love, I think education is dope. Um, that's like the silliest thing I've ever said. But I have like a, a Star Trek related tattoo right here. And I think the closest thing we have to Starfleet is like the education system. And it's got a lot of problems. And people have, when I ask my students, and I always do what their, like what their bad experiences were in education, some of it's horrifying. Mm. Like some of them had some bad experiences, but they all have one teacher, like your music teacher mm. that like changed their lives. Um, and I think the majority of teachers are doing the best they can with a really difficult situation. Um, and like, you know, I was just talking to somebody recently and, and, and the first thing they said was, well, the money is really bad and that's true. Yeah. Um, but my goal in life is to make as little money as possible while still living a good life. So <laughs> teaching is pretty good for that type of thing, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I really like the, the, the semester system. I like working really hard for 16 weeks and then getting five weeks off and then working really hard for 16 weeks and then getting <clears throat> um, three months off. I like the back and forth kind of, and I, and I like work and I like working hard and I like the kind of intensity of it. Um, and I like feeling like I'm doing something that's socially responsible in the world. Mm. In 2020, I realized how much that means to me because I wasn't working in 2020 and it was really difficult for me. Mm -hmm. I love interacting with my students and learning from them. Um, I teach, I mean, teaching literature is great though because we can talk about anything we want and somebody wrote a book about it, you know? So it's like really interesting. It's probably, again, very different for different disciplines and things. Um, if I didn't teach at the college level, I'd probably teach kindergarten because I think I like kindergarten is like little kids. Um, when I was substitute teaching, I did uh, kindergarten a lot. So, so yeah, there like the, there are benefits. Like the time off is awesome, um, but even the work itself has a lot of benefits, and and it's just nice. It's just nice knowing that I can do this until I'm dead, probably, or until mm. my brain gives out. You know, um, <laughs> I don't really plan on retiring ever. Yeah, because um, yeah, it's just. Cool. It's just, it's just too interesting teaching. Hmm. It's just, there's just too much pleasure associated with it for me. You know, it's just too fun and too engaging. Yeah. And that's not everybody's experience. Do you like it this to the same degree, Steph? Um, subbing is definitely more difficult, but <laughs> I very much well know that like it's difficult to step into someone else's class and try to just make sure everyone stays alive for that day. Um, but yeah, I... Getting to teach this last semester in, in my physics degree, um, even it just made me look forward to it that much more when I get my master's and I'm able to actually have my own class. It was definitely difficult not like learning the material as I'm teaching it and like knowing that I'm not able to answer everyone's questions and stuff. But yeah, there's it was very fulfilling that 16 weeks of like being in front of the class and like doing my best at that level to kind of help these other students learn. And I don't know, for me in my, like my cohort of physics students, there's like 10 of us and I'm the only woman in there, but I'm also the only one that's like above 21. Like <laughs> one of my friends has like a fake ID and I'm like, oh, you're, you're funny, so young. Um, but like, I'm also kind of the only one who knows exactly what she wants to do with it. And sometimes they laugh at it because to them, like a physicist who aims to be like this, just this college professor, it's like, why are you doing research? What are you doing? You know, but there's, I, I just look forward to the years where I can have my own class. And like, I think, yeah, I try, I try to like see how the teachers that I appreciate are doing their job, like see what makes it why they're the teachers I like, what makes them so good at teaching. And I don't know. I, yeah, I like it. I look forward to it. I think they're given like the, 
I don't know, post 2020, we all have like this language about capitalism kind of like built into our brains now, right? That all comes from the academic world, but like filter down. Um, there's no ethical consumption under capitalism, that kind of stuff that you see like pasted all over the internet. Blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm trying to teach myself to be less unthinkingly critical of that stuff because everything's complicated. Everything we do is super complicated and everything we do like flying out here, super complicated, super complicated, net positive, net negative. We can argue back and forth all day long and it turns into an exercise in rhetoric rather than an exercise in actually like trying to find truth value in the statements themselves. Um, everything we do for work, everything, the way we spend our money, it's like we, we're entering into a world where we're realizing how political and social everything we do is, which is a bit of a nightmare and true at the same time. Reminds me of being raised evangelical where like God's watching all the time. Mm. Um, and in a world like that, for me teaching, regardless of all the po uh, all the problems, which there are a ton of problems, especially in the United States, it's still, it still seems pretty uncomplicatedly good for mm. a lot of students and for a lot of people. It was for me in my life. Um, and it is, and I see that in my students all the time. And it's, it's kind of refreshing to have that in my life, have yeah, that thing in my life. That's really interesting. Um, yeah. it's, it's really nice to know that that's, that that's maybe the case. Um, and maybe I'm lying to myself, you know, somebody can argue with me. I'm sure I've been argued with before and I'm willing to argue about it. Cause I like arguing uh, in the first place. It's just fun to discuss. And I would want to know, um, if that's not the case, but so, yeah, I just think that like, it's, you know, I climbing for me is really selfish and I do a lot of things that are really selfish, but the fact that I'm climbing, the fact that I'm here when I was on the road, when we were on the road for a year, when we were living on public land for four years in Bishop, all of that is only possible because a significant portion of the population can't do that. Still relying on people to build roads, pick my food, all that type of stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it just seems like given that I really do think that's the fact that my luck, my privilege, again, one of those other words, right. Um, to be able to live the life that I live is based directly on other people not being able to do the things they do. I grew up with my dad's workers building houses and things like that, right? Um, not a lot of people get to meet the people who built their house. Um, it's just like, it just makes sense to try to find something that, that I can do that at least gives back to the community that I'm relying on so hard. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. teaching is one way. There's more than one way. There's lots of different ways. Teaching is the one way with four months off, <laughs> off mm -hmm. a year. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and I just think that like, you know, we all talk about how the world is fucked up. We're always talking about how they are doing this, they are doing that, but we never include ourselves in that they, right? But it, I don't know, I don't know who they are. Um, and and we all think about like revolution or big change. I've been involved politically with some groups in, in Las Vegas. Um, but I think like simple acts, like the middle school teacher who goes to class every day and does their best, that's a pretty revolutionary thing. Mm. That's a pretty fascinating thing. That's a powerful thing. Um, and so I think like making those types of choices, that's one of the reasons why I like teaching why I got into teaching, um, even though I kind of fell into it, was because it's kind of a simple, direct thing that allows me to live a life that I think is worth living. I don't think I need to suffer necessarily too hard. And still I can kind of feel good about it at night, mm -hmm. um, which mm -hmm. is important to me. Yeah. I, gotta, I gotta live with my own head those like last five minutes before I fall asleep, you know? Um, and again, a very idealistic view. I'm an idealist and an optimist and kind of unapologetically so. Um, I really don't understand people who aren't optimists and and idealistic about things because we all like even the people i hear complain the most live like live like lives that have never been possible in the history of ever <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. it's like amazing uh, when i meet misanthropes who just hate people i'm like when, when did you have a bad like when did you actually have a bad interaction with the person um that like you know because a bad interaction with the person is them like stabbing you or something um, which happens and used to happen a lot more in the world you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah i'm getting ranty again i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> told myself i wouldn't do that and we will be right back.
This episode is brought to you by Rocky Talkie. Rocky Talkies are backcountry radios designed by a small team of climbers from Denver, Colorado. I love these things. I never thought I'd be going back to using radios in the year 2023, but these things are awesome. Here's the deal. We all have phones, but sometimes phones aren't very helpful. Let's say you're climbing a multi-pitch or you're backcountry skiing and don't want to drop your phone in the snow or you're mountain biking and it's a pain to stop and get your phone out or you don't have service. Phones are not always the best option. The best way to communicate in the backcountry is with Rocky Talkies. These things are made by climbers for climbers. They're super compact. They weigh less than half a pound. They come with a built-in carabiner so you can easily clip them to your pack or harness. And the battery lasts over three days, even in winter conditions so cool. I actually used these bouldering in Waco tanks this winter. There were a few times when I made plans to meet up with friends at the boulders. I knew I wouldn't have cell reception and the Rocky Talkies worked perfectly. And they're so much fun. I'm a huge fan. Get 10% off your first pair of Rocky Talkies by going to rockytalkie.com slash nugget. That's rockytalkie.com slash nugget for 10% off your first order of backcountry radios. And now back to the show. I wanted to ask you guys, and this is not a critical question at all. It's just, I'm, I've been thinking about it a lot, thinking about like, because with Rocklands, I'm like, <clears throat> I could either be okay not coming back here for quite a while, or I want to come back here like every year for the rest of my yeah, life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, I know I'm going to, I know if I come back next year, I'm probably just going to like really get, it's really going to grab me. Yeah. Um, and I'm, am I okay with that? Like, am I okay with flying halfway across the world every year, you know? Um, I don't know. I mean, the simplest thing is is flying and the environmental impact of mm -hmm. that, but there's a lot of other things that come with that. Do you guys wrestle with that at all? And mm -hmm. how do you think about it? Do you want me to go? Yeah, well, because I know that you've like specifically sat down and looked at our carbon footprint. Yeah. Just we, like in terms of carbon footprint. Yeah, we, we, we take this pretty seriously. We also eat meat. Another thing that I've had a lot of, and I didn't used to eat meat. I've, I went three years as a vegetarian until my body exploded, um, which, you know, I was probably under eating by a fair bit. Um, yeah, we wrestle with this. But the way that I think about it is that like, okay, everything we do requires energy. That's like the way that our world works now, right? Like the, the greatest indicator of your carbon footprint is how much money you make as an individual. There's like a direct correlation between the two. The more money you make, the more carbon footprint you have because making that money requires energy. Because you're putting in your the money that you make, your employer is making way more <laughs> mm. off of them, right? That's how capitalism works, um, and that requires energy. But then also, you're generally spending more, so that requires energy as well, right? And so everybody kind of picks and chooses, and we like to like pick things like flying, like eating meat, as being like you know you have to give those things up, right? But there are a variety of ways that you can lower your carbon footprint. Um, our carbon footprint is currently like forty percent lo lower than the average household in the United States. I like measure even this with and keep this track. flight. Yeah, even with this flight every single year, and that's because we live extremely frugally every other part of the year. We probably eat out like five times a year, mm -hmm. um, maybe not even that. Um, we like don't. We just we have very simple lives, very simple needs. That's kind of both an accident by our personalities and on purpose. Um, I like buy carbon credits to offset the rest of it, even though carbon credits themselves aren't perfect. I buy specifically from a company who doesn't, um, who just retires the carbon credits because there are some carbon credits that like go into other countries and then get them to change their behaviors. And that's all, you know, there are different mm. questions about that. 
Um, and carbon credits aren't perfect, but I have a friend whose dad was, um, is like an environmental scientist and these are the ones that he recommended. Um, and I don't remember the name of them right now because it's all automated now. <laughs> I don't mm. have to worry about it. Um, I'll, I'll follow up with you on that. Yeah, I'd yeah. I'd be curious, yeah. Yeah, and, and I, it's been a while since I've like kind of re-looked at the company um, to see if they're still doing what they say they do, you know? Yeah. That's kind of an important thing. Um, and so, but I, you know, one, maybe a little more. So yeah, we work really hard to make sure that that this trip doesn't put us like into a place where we, we feel like we're being more unethical and then other trips, right? Um, and that I mean, there's some sacrifice associated with that type of thing. And that's just the way that it is. But for us, it's easy because we love it here so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and like simplicity is kind of um, a defining feature of the way that we think about our lives and things like that. We like, we like being frugal on principle. Mm-hmm. Um, we both have been that way. Um, I think even before we met, um, and we like separately, we were that way. Um, I just never had any money, so I had to make do without it. So, um, And then another thing though, I think about that's a little more abstract is that you know, we, we are making a trade-off all the time, right? So there we kind of forget that like like the internet requires like one of the one of the largest carbon emitters is the internet itself because of all the servers that it's required, all the energy that goes into those servers and all the water that goes into those servers, right? Data centers and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah that takes a lot too, right? Um and so if you look at the percentages that things that things um that things and they're changing all the time, so I don't not up to date with them that, that things give or different industries give to carbon. Um, you know, you have transportation, you have agriculture, you have um, services like internet and data and stuff like that. And they're all kind of the same. And I just feel like if we end up in a world where we give up traveling to meet, and maybe this is a hot take and maybe I'll regret saying this, but if we give, <laughs> if we give up, if we live in a world where we give up traveling to meet people face to face and interacting with different cultures um, and the food of those cultures as well, like, you know, the meat here in, in South Africa, which I think food, culture and food go hand in hand. My dad's Argentinian, my mom's Brazilian. That's like the case. Mm-hmm. If we give up those things, but then we accept Facebook and Instagram and Netflix, we made a bad trade. That's a bad trade. Um, because ultimately we're just replacing one source of carbon for another source of carbon. Mm-hmm. And they're roughly the same is my understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I have an Instagram I have a Facebook that I don't use because you can't delete those fucking things. <laughs> um, and and we try we try to minimize our, our side our, that side of things. We try to minimize our other expenditures in life in the world so that so that we can feel good about traveling because mm. um, I do think that that's like a net positive in a lot of ways. Yeah, um, that kind of interaction, face to face interaction with people. And so I, I do think that if we end up in a world where everybody's a vegetarian and nobody and the vegetarian things are easy to pick on, but I don't mean to. Um, and nobody's traveling anywhere, but everybody's sitting at home watching Netflix um, and talking to each other through chat GPT on their emails or their what's it called? It's like, that's dystopian as fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not impossible to see that trade-off. Yeah. Because <laughs> I don't think that, I don't think the fact that we're making a trade is quite clear to a lot of people. It's, yeah. It seems clear to me right. personally. Well, um, even, and even like making those decisions isn't, it, it bothers me that, um, I mean, it go, it's reductionism again, right? Yes. Like this, this idea that everyone, almost everyone seems to be on board with and just accept at face value that like cutting out meat is the number one thing you can do to save the world. It makes no sense to me. Like it's so much more complicated than that. You take a place like here where you're buying meat that was grown probably within like 50 kilometers of here, yeah. you know, and minimally produced. It's here in this freezer. You can buy it, you can cook it. It provides most of your calories. That's pretty good, you know. I was um I was in Switzerland before this and was staying with some roommates. Um, one was a vegan, one's one one is a ve- vegan, one's vegetarian, and 
no criticism about them, whatever it's their preference. But I just, I just thought it was interesting. Like we were at the supermarket checking out and I have like a heap of meat, you know, <laughs> steaks and burgers and stuff. Um, and they had a bunch of tofu and mm-hmm. we're like waiting in line. And I was like, wow, this is really interesting. Like, you know, I'm sure most people at face value would think that I was making a less environmentally conscious choice, but all this meat is Swiss meat and yeah. Switzerland's not a very big country. And like everywhere you drive, you see these like beautiful, healthy cows eating like rich, lush grass, you know? And then where, where the hell did that tofu come from? It probably came from like Brazil or something, you know? So it got shipped halfway across the world. With soya beans from China. Cause that's like the number one producer. Of oh, China. Soya is, uh, I think the number one producer of soybeans in, is China. Okay. In the world or something like that, but I, yeah. I forget. So, so it came from a yeah. long way away. There's a lot of processing to turn those beans into like this white brick that you can fry up and eat, you know? Yeah. And it's just, I, I, I don't think that one's better than the other. I just think it's like, it's obviously complex. Yeah. And it's more complex than I think most people give it credit for. And um, our I brains, find, I find it frustrating. Our brains look for shortcuts. That's like the whole reason why we survive, right? Nothing's about being like logic and, and, and rationality are like secondary to survival. Um, that's like the way we evolve. That's the way I think about it at least. And that's a, that's like a reduction of the whole thing for sure. A simplification. But, and so like, you know, living in a society that you know, we, we all agree, the majority of us, I'd say, especially in the climbing world, agree that we're doing damage to the planet and the people around us, right? 100%. Knowing that fact is kind of traumatizing to like try to live in that world world mm. all the time. And so it makes sense that we seek things that we can do that are actionable and maybe simple, um, that feel good. Um, but that doesn't, the feeling of them and the actionability of them doesn't necessarily reflect the reality of them, right? The, the fact that we're having like a discussion, you know, say like lower middle class or middle class people are having discussions about what each other should be doing is also like, what the, what the, what is that about? Mm-hmm. When like, meanwhile, they're out there, you know, people owning multiple homes and yachts and flying like in private jets to avoid traffic in LA and stuff like that, right? Um, like the fact that our conversation is so focused on each other's actions as opposed to like, you know, the greatest producer of carbon, which is like the companies and the, and the rich. Um, I think that's really fascinating as well, right? Like that's that's divide and conquer. That's colonialism all, all the way again. Mm-hmm. That's like the same playbook. Um, and so like when I, you know, when I have felt judgy of my friends, when I, back when I was a vegetarian, because I was a pretty judgy vegetarian, <laughs> or I feel judged by my friends, there's a part of me that like, that feels a loss. They're like, why are we arguing with each other? We're kind of in the same boat. We're not the ones causing the damage really mm. um, in the end. Or the, we are causing damage, but like not as much. Um, I don't know, uh, Kim Stanley Robinson has a book, uh, called the ministry for the future. And he's been writing, um, he's been writing, uh, about climate change since the eighties. And you can tell that he's just getting frustrated because in this, <laughs> in this book, there are characters that are just going out and murdering billionaires to pay for like climate. They're like wow. climate terrorists and they're not the good guys and they're not the bad guys. Mm. They're necessary in the story for the, for solving the problems. Cause it's an optimistic book. Mm. Um, and so it's like, it's like, that's a, it's, it's really weird that like one of our most respected, this guy shows up on like the NASA podcast all the time is just like, just shy of advocating for outright climate terrorism. Um, it's bizarre, right? It's bizarre. But I mm. think like our inability to have like a rational conversation about these things um, ends up in that space. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's a story. That's what stories are good for. That's why yeah. we have horror movies, Yeah. Um, right? Is so that we can play with these ideas without having to actually engage in these ideas. And I'm sure there are people out there freaking out that he wrote a book like that or freaking out that I'm breaking it up or something, but like, it's just a story. Mm-hmm. It's just a chance to explore an idea, um, mm. an alter- alternative, like an alternative reality. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think, yeah, when we come out here, cause we, we fly out here every single year, 
um, and we're going in Japan. Yeah, it's complicated. And 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 I know there are at least um, a couple climbers who refuse to like high profile climbers who refuse to travel that way because of it, you know. Um, but like you said, it's it's way more complex than that. And there are different ways to I think make your life personally a little bit less um, like cause less damage in terms of climate and things like that. Mm-hmm. But then climbers are really interesting because we, we we're like nature people. I'm a, I consider myself a nature person, but I realized living in Vegas, I'm actually like a park person. Cause like, like going to the happies, it's not nature. It's like a fully <laughs> mediated environment. Right. Um, and like the damage that we've done to the Rocklands, the damage that as climbers we've done to places like Bishop, we can't ignore that. We like to ignore it, but it's a, re- it's like the reality. We mm-hmm. like shit on cities because they're like damaging the environment to put there, but we're, we're, you know, we're not exactly that different in a lot yeah. of ways, you know? Yeah, I, yeah. At this, least we're we're con, we're confining it though, which is good. Right. The fact that we're here in this one little pace of the Cedarbergs is great for the rest of the Cedarbergs, you know. Right. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's just it's just really complicated. Nobody likes to feel bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry. That was it, no, it's a whole it's a whole it's a whole <laughs> can of worms because I I sometimes um, kind of like roll my eyes inwardly at the climbing community when we get really hard on each other for the way that we impact nature, yeah. because it's like, okay, well, you're like, who built this parking lot that you're parking yeah. in for Whole Foods? Like there used yeah. to be plants here, you know, like that's a way bigger impact than like yeah. destroying a plant at the base of this yeah. climb you want to do. But at the same time, of course, like there's a way to be respectful. There's a way to respect nature and have minimal impact. Yeah. But I think it's okay to like go outside and appreciate and enjoy nature even if that has some small effect on the environment that we're in all animal like sorry i interrupted we 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 like can't not have an impact right Um, exactly and 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 having an impact not necessarily a bad thing like the only reason we get to live these lives that we live is because we fully have changed our environment to such a degree that we're not i don't know every time i watch like i get a little stoned and i watch a, a, a nature documentary i'm like wow there are monsters out there eating animals alive um, the fact that we don't have to worry about that type of stuff is because we have impacted our environment to the degree that we're not living in nature anymore, really. Mm. And the idea of nature, a lot of like what I work I do in literary when it comes to ecocritism, the idea of nature as separate from the city or separate from culture, that doesn't make any sense, actually. You know, like the word nature itself with a capital N is is not really that useful because it demarcates this space that doesn't actually exist because we're not really separate anyways. Um, like a city is not really, like Las Vegas is not unnatural. Um, any more than LA is, where it had to steal its water from Owens Valley, right? People congregate together. They change their environment to make their lives more convenient, just like any other animal does in a lot of ways, you know? Mm. It's just a matter of scale and technology and things. Yeah. Um, the idea the idea of nature as this separate entity, I think, is really complicated and interesting. Mm. And I spend way too much time reading books about that type of stuff. Um, Timothy Morton, in particular, has a really great book. Uh, called ecology without nature i think that's what it's called that's really interesting probably don't need to read the whole thing like introduction conclusion okay <laughs> um or dark ecology is also really cool. <clears throat> very complex <laughs> yeah because for me when i think about like the the climate issues and flying like um i don't know in physics i've been taking a lot of the like um physics of energy courses or like sustainable energy classes there's like two teachers who love teaching these and um there's some of my favorite classes because we get to talk about climate and we get to talk about this all the time and it always comes back to kind of like the climate and consumerism feels are not separate Mm. 
And like, if we want to solve one, we have to acknowledge the other. And I think that's why it's important to think also about like how we are as a society, at least in America, as being like such big consumers of absolutely everything. Like we just want excess of everything. And so for me, when I think about these flights and stuff, and I think about the rest of our year when we spend in in Vegas and the choices we make, like, or even the job we choose to have, like these are all tied together in the sense that you're making small choices to like do what you can to kind of help the rest of the world <laughs> with the consumerism problem that is America. Like you, these are all little choices you make by like not buying all the new technology or like, I don't know, there's... Even buying used cars or used clothing or refurbished phones, like all that type of stuff, right? That's like not necessarily requiring a new thing to be made. Um, there's like a, actually quite a lot of opportunity in, yeah. in in the world to make those types of small choices. Yeah, because these are all things that like they're not disconnected to to the climate system on Earth. Like how much we have to produce and the resources we extract from the land, and like the um, I don't know, even something like EV batteries for like for cars and stuff. It seems like such a good thing right away, and like all these new. Um, like the 2030, every car must be an electric vehicle. Um, it sounds good until you start diving deeper and seeing like the issues it actually causes for the earth and stuff. Like, I'm not saying it's bad altogether. I'm just saying that if we talk about climate, we can't not also talk about the consumerism in America and like these individual choices we make to continue to, I don't know, it, it feels kind of like we want to continue to live our lifestyle the way we want. And like maybe being vegetarian is the choice you make that makes you feel better about it. But ignoring kind of the way you make your money and how you spend your days or like what you do the rest of the year it's not enough to make up for the fact that you're vegetarian. Like, I don't know. It's it's complicated in my head. <laughs> well, it's, it's all about being on balance and how to get on balance. So net positive, say, right? And maybe just a little bit net positive. How to like get that, what that looks like for everybody is going to be a little different. That's just the case, right? Mm -hmm. And so these kind of one size fits all, um, fits all solutions like say vegetarianism, right? Just those reduce the discussion to like an oversimplification that doesn't actually work. What one person being say like carbon neutral is going to look very different than another person. And it should look different. That's, that's nice that it can look different, that people can make those types of choices. That's wonderful. Cause I don't want to live in an authoritarian eco state as much as I want to live in any other type of authoritarian state, say, right. Um, even though maybe that's like necessary or something, I don't know. In sci-fi at least it gets there sometimes. <laughs> um, and, and so, yeah, I think like, just recognizing both how we're all kind of implicated in this type of thing. Um, I think that's really important too, is like recognizing that like, like even those like Steph and I who try to be really frugal, um, like to go to the movies sometimes <laughs> and like to, and, and occasionally like to buy things. Right. Um, and then that, that's kind of okay. 
in the end, it's just on balance over the course of a life, over the course of a year, over the course of the work you do. Um, but really, ultimately, it all comes down to like systems, right? Because like individuals making choices is kind of a hard sell and you don't want to tell people what to do, but you can incentivize better behavior through systems that mm-hmm. work. We have a set of incentives that kind of go the opposite direction. Well, they're flip-flocking back and forth every time we get a new president um, in mm-hmm. the States. Um, but like turning on each other about it is not really a very good option in a mm-hmm. lot of ways because mm-hmm. ultimately like cooperation is going to be necessary. Yeah. Um, even with the ones who we don't want to cooperate with, like the people who say voted for somebody we don't agree with, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, my parents say. <laughs> um, which is why, I, again, I come back to teaching. The classroom is such an interesting experience because I've had like straight neo-Nazis in my classes before. I think I mentioned this before. Um, I had, I had, I've had some people say, even this last semester, people say some terrible things. Um, that in like an online forum or almost any other forum would have just immediately people would have split directions and gone in every other direction, not talk to each other. But because mm-hmm. it's a classroom kind of stuck there, they got to talk to each other and we, and you work it out. It's like, a, it can be a really powerful experience in education that way, um, to actually have these difficult conversations in a space that, um, hopefully is mediated by somebody who's experienced in leading these types of discussions so that people can actually say things out loud without being beholden to the things they say out loud because we mm-hmm. don't always mean everything we say out loud. Mm. Um, but everything's recorded now. So it's like kind of a weird <laughs> thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think I can't imagine any version of solving any of these problems that don't require us to like be together and work together. Yeah, yeah. It's really important that we keep that in mind when we're arguing about tick marks or whatever it is yeah. that we're arguing about. Yeah, and, and like maybe let go of judgment of what other people are doing if you haven't like talked to them about it. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's a good one. Because, because yeah, some people are trying to make a difference in a way that you haven't considered, or yeah. you know, or, or on a level that you haven't thought of before, or just a, just different. Um, I feel like I should close the loop on this, or or just circle back. I do want to say that I like have the utmost respect for those two friends, like the vegan and the vegetarian. Mm. I think they're largely doing it for ethical reasons, and I think yeah. that anyone like making a choice that feels like a sacrifice for something that they feel is really helpful and good. And it's empowering. Like that's fucking awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like things are, it bothers me that like our societal story about a lot of these things is become so reduced and yeah. becomes so this is good. This is bad. Yeah. Um, we just, we just forget that things are complex. Yeah. 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 I guess that's the point, right? These flights that we're taking that you're wondering about, like, it is one thing that seems bad, but what else, the other things that we do the other 360 days of the year, like that you don't see kind of not make up for it, but just because of the flights, it doesn't mean we're like a, like bad people or you're not a bad person for traveling, you know, like you can be doing a lot in your own way. That's not everyone sees that is also good for society. Mm-hmm. I'm going to follow up with you on the the carbon credits thing because that's okay. something I'm like planning to do retroactively after this trip is like pay for my pay, pay to offset my carbon. Yeah. Well, British really... Airways uh, offsets carbon. I think okay. they do it on themselves anyway, so you can like seek out airlines like that. There's cool. also Give Directly is like a um, uh, I like I like donate 10% of my income um, through like this thing called um, I forgot what it's called. It's like some sort of commitment I took online or some shit. Um, oh, is it the is it like this? Like Sam Harris is talking. Yeah, about yeah. It. Sam Maybe Harris talks about the, it all the time. The, yeah, like, that's how I heard about it. With Sam Harris. Yeah, the, I listen to Sam Harris's podcast. The, the do the do good 
pledge or something yeah, like that. Yeah, and then that one guy from the crypto thing ruined everything for everybody, and, and the do-good pledge maybe gets a little complicated. Um, oh, I, okay, I haven't followed uh, it. Sam, we'll Sam, see. the guy who liked the crypto exchange, I forgot what crypto exchange it was, but it, he was like a big proponent of it, and then it turns out he was just like gaming the system to make oh, a ton fuck. of money. Yeah, so of course. Oh, no. Um, but yeah, I can, I can, yeah, follow up with me, because I can't remember what it's called at the moment. I think it's called Lighthouse is the carbon credit. Um mm. And, and it's like, doesn't, the crazy part is it doesn't even cost them <laughs> that much, really. It's like, mm. I think for our lifestyle, it's like 20 bucks a month for the two of us or 30 bucks oh, a month wow. for the two of us. The, and the, and carbon credit prices are going up, which is actually a good thing. Mm. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I think when um, some things have changed with the EPA in the United States, that complicates what the carbon credit company does, but they work on like a global scale anyway. So it's like a di- little bit different from different countries. Um and how like you know carbon credits work in different countries are they uh, are they like planting trees are they like digging no, into legislation so, so and... the way that the way that most carbon credit companies work and i'm not an expert in this i just want to preface that yeah. i am an armchair person on this one um but very comfortable just talking about it <laughs> pretending and if that... you guys are not interested in this just go to the timestamps and skip ahead yeah there you go <laughs> um so the way that most of these work is like the way that you offset your credit is by yeah planting trees or say the company that you buy them from will uh, pay into an incentive, like a um, some sort of incentive scheme that will get people in Myanmar to stop using coal for cooking or something like that, right? So you offset your credit by actually changing the behavior or the environment of people around you. This company buys carbon credits off the market from places where people, like like in other countries, where people have to, like companies are required to buy carbon credits to be able to create more carbon, which is something we had in the United States on the Obama administration or some version of that. Um, and they and they, and instead of and they just retire them. So they're just actually taking carbon credits off the market. So they're not available for people to make that carbon legally in their in those mm. countries, supposedly. Okay. That's why my friend whose dad, um, shout out to Sam, uh, whose dad was involved in this type of stuff. That's why he recommends that one because it doesn't actually require anybody else to change their behavior. It just removes the available carbon in a certain economy that's available to that economy. Okay. Um, again, I don't know how that's changed since, and I haven't kept up on it enough because one of the nice things is that you can just automate it and go and check in every now and then. Um, but yeah, that's the difference. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. It's kind of a cool, kind of a cool concept, I guess, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's a replacement for like, you know, just reducing our own needs and our own consumption and things like that. Right. Um, a lot of the problems we have with climate less have less to do with specific behaviors and more to do with just scale mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Right. I think that's also another way that you can like, kind of deal with things like again we read meat once a week um and it's because i think it makes me feel better as a climber and like i recover better once a week um but like once a week is not eating it every day so it's not quite the same you know mm-hmm. um, so there are small like changes you can make that way yeah yeah cool should we come back to climbing yeah sure <laughs> give them something to come back to is uh yeah so you have two 12-week blocks do you fit that how does that fit into a six week 16 week uh, work semester, teaching uh, semester. We start maybe week three in so of this semester. For... It, yeah, we don't. We'll like just climb at the gym still, or like yeah, during the summer in Vegas, it's hard to climb outside, but we'll just gym climb, and then pretty much like mid early September, we'll start our twelve week, like two six week. I guess nowadays it's more like I don't know. It's a variation on twelve weeks, um, kind of we figured out how, what works for both of us, well, each of us, and then we make that work. And then we try to always finish about 
the last week of the semester. So when we're doing finals, so then we have some time to recover before our either winter vacation or summer vacation. And it always, yeah, it takes some planning, but we always make it work for whatever trip or thing we have going on. Yeah, we usually need like after like like after this trip, I'm going to be spent for like two weeks or something, mm-hmm. um, and so I'll, I I can't go back into training right away. So I need mm-hmm. some time, and so usually that that cuts into the semester, and then I like to finish a few weeks or a couple of weeks at least, more and more actually. I, I try to finish earlier and earlier um, as I get older before our trip starts to make sure that I kind of am already rested when I get there. Um, and so and so yeah, even though the semester is 16 weeks and we're only doing 12 weeks. You know, there's a lot of play on either end of that. Um, I've also been experimenting with like smaller, like doing three weeks of training and then doing a half week and then doing three weeks and then a week off, like like giving myself more rest because I'm starting to realize I need more rest mm-hmm. um, little by little. So I'm not following like strict six weeks strength, six weeks power like I used to as much anymore. I'm like playing around with things a little bit more timing wise because um, my recovery is terrible compared to what it was like, mm-hmm. you know, six, seven years ago. Um, but, but even within that, it's kind of fun because with the 16 week school structure, you just always have this block that you can work within that and play within that. Um, and then, and make it work within that structure. Cause you know that you have this time coming up, this time off coming up and it allows us to kind of like give up climbing on the weekends. Like I don't climb, I'm never going to climb anything hard during one of these 16 week things, you know, and that's, and doesn't bother me because I know that I have my five weeks coming off my three months coming off mm-hmm. or coming up. Um, that helps a lot knowing that. So there's, yeah, we can, one of the reasons we can focus so hard on training during when we're, is because we have these significant chunks of time to go focus on performance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of craving moving towards more of that yeah. versus just being on the road all the time. Cause it's, I, I mean, I have training cycles here and there, but <clears throat> like, for example, I, I have always responded really well to board climbing. Like if I board yeah. climb for a while, I, I really notice it in my, in my performance on boulders outside. Um, but I haven't had more than like a six week block in years. And the times when I really noticed a huge level up from that was like two or three months of it, you know, pretty consistently. So I'm kind of craving that again. Um, you could do our, um, new idea, the training trip, (laughs) new idea, training trip. Yeah. Training training trip. Yeah. It's a, um, (laughs) It's just like if you've ever wanted to visit somewhere that you that doesn't have a good climbing, right? Which is okay. That exists. Um, you go to that place that and has a gym and you just train indoors that yeah. whole time. But you can also like go see the area and like go to restaurants and stuff. But it's not about outdoor climbing. It's just about training. <laughs> That's cool. We haven't done it yet. <laughs> have we done it? I like, well, we kind of did I like it in did Chattanooga. It. Yeah, we did it on accident because it rained every day in Chattanooga. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> I could do that. The training trip. Yeah. I go on some training trips. I feel you're on the year off. We took a year off before going back to school and um and we had some training time like plant planted in there. We also accidentally had the, you know, the Chattanooga trip was a wash. Um we got to climb enough to see how badass it is though. Um, Just because of weather it was But the, it rained like almost every day. We got yeah. out a couple of times. We got it out, we got out enough to see how cool the climbing is and then weren't able to climb that much. So we trained a bunch before mm-hmm. coming here. But I missed like having this kind of, I missed having like my, my system worked out. I missed that. And I also got like, after spending a year trying to like, cause we were going to these zones that we don't normally get to go to cause they're fall and spring zones, which is when we're always in semester. That's the trade off with the school schedule. I had like these like goals of these zones. I was like, okay, maybe I'll never come back to these places. I don't know if I'll be. And so I, I started to get so tired of projecting and so tired mm-hmm. of trying hard. And I just like, couldn't keep up the mental game. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the fact that it was 2020 didn't help. Um, we had given up our place to stay. 
right before the pandemic happened. And so we had like, we had an outdate and we had nowhere to go um, other than I guess living with my parents, which is not really an option. I love you parents, but you guys don't want to live with me. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I, I remember at the end of the year, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to do that again. I don't know if I want to take another year off. Um, I think I'd rather work, take time off, work, take time off. I just missed my schedule too much, mm -hmm. too much of a creature of habit. And I miss teaching. Yeah. Um, but I certainly felt like incredibly beat up mentally and physically at the end of like a year of travel. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard to get stronger climbing outside full time, which is ironic. Some people, some people manage it really well. I don't know. There's, yeah, some people have figured it out, but I feel like I've creeped up like a little bit in the last few years, but not nearly as much as I think I would have if I, you know, did two 12 week blocks each year for the last yeah. three or four years. Yeah. Um, that, so and I've kind of scratched the itch of like traveling and climbing in, in a lot of these places mm -hmm. that I wanted to check out. I still want to do a lot more traveling, but I'm, yeah, the idea of having like a more focused trip with yeah. more focused preparation is like getting more and more attractive to me. Yeah. And it's just, I think I just get mentally worn out being, moving around all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I missed people. It's, yeah. <laughs> I missed like, like, like a, like a gym, a regular gym, like refuge for us in Vegas becomes such like a touchstone of like your kind of community. Mm -hmm. um, and then when you're going to different gyms all the time, meeting different people, that's fun, um, but exhausting. Mm -hmm. And I'm like an outgoing person. Yeah, we <laughs> yeah. have neighbors now. We have like yeah. our little community mm -hmm. and it's kind of awesome to just like, even if we're only in Vegas for four or five years, like it's it's nice to know that we have a little home to go back to and mm. yeah. our training trips aren't. It also kind of takes the pressure off the, the trip sometimes to... I don't know, to know there's more, <laughs> there's more to your little life than just like trying to send all your projects all the time. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. yeah, it's that base of community. That's nice. Yeah. That's something that like the, you don't the, get that on the road as much. Yeah. The remote work thing, like that's a sacrifice in the remote work stuff kind of in a way. Right. Um, I feel like I know a lot of I feel like loneliness is such a thing I know with almost every adult <laughs> that I know. Uh, a lot of them either express or seem to feel uh, lonely. And, and, and sometimes the people who, work, who spend a lot of time working remotely, same kind of thing um, in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, luckily teaching is a place where like, if you want to be effective community, sticking in a place makes the most sense. Mm -hmm. you, get, you, you get a lot of that. Even when we were living in Bishop in our vans or in our trailer, we were off grid and on public land, but we were still just there. Um, and so like Steph had the school she subbed at, we had the climbing gym, we had our friends, we had, I had my school that I worked at. Um, you know, it's, it's a bummer that work, like there's, there's definitely an argument to be made that the fact that community and work have kind of become together is like a weird thing for sure. Um, but then again, um, yeah, there's a lot of weird things that happen in a, in a system like ours. Um, but I think there's also like a lot of positivity in that type of thing, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and so I missed that a lot when I was on the year off, especially mm -hmm. a year like 2020. Yeah. Where like you, it really became suddenly realized that like it's, it really is nice to, to know people <laughs> and mm -hmm. to be able to spend time with them, you know, mm -hmm. that came into a head. Might be because we're getting older too. Like we're both in our thirties now and like might want to start a family soon. And like, I guess you can do that on the road if you want, but it's nice to have like a, it doesn't even have to be like a, a house, but just like a place you stay in a yeah. city or a small town that you stay in where like you can have your little base. Mm -hmm. I think I treasure that more, but I mean, I feel like people, people have to figure that out for themselves too. Like 
people are starting van life all the time now and just seeing if they like it, if it works for them, if not, you know, you go back and you make it work. But yeah, I think we're getting old in our like want to nest. <laughs> I think so. Carlos and I want to I think nest. So. <clears throat> yeah. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> I've got baby fever hardcore. Her, <laughs> you do? We, yeah. Oh my God. I love kids. <laughs> I'm the oldest out of five. Uh, there's 10 years between me and my brother. I'm the oldest cousin. There's like 40 of them. There's not that many, but there's a lot. Um, I've always been around kids. And then we live with her sister and her sister uh, um, had a baby last October, uh, baby Ava. And so it was like the first time I'd like been through as an adult, been through like watching somebody go through pregnancy and then been there when the baby was born and like got to be a part of kind of taking care of the baby as a newborn. Just it's the best thing ever. Yeah. <laughs> we say um, this, but cool. it, it'll be a few years still because yeah, yeah. it's <clears throat> still challenging with school. But, but how old are you, Steph? 30. Okay. Yeah. Just turned 30 in May. I just turned 30. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. We're pro. We're pro. Uh, Welcome kids. to the 30s. We hang out yeah. with the Rocklands babies. <laughs> yeah. Like Larkin, Paige, and Ariane's baby. <laughs> Steph's always stealing yeah. her. Um, <laughs> nice. It's great to see like bouldering families out. Yeah. Yeah. I, feel like, I just think it's such a cool thing. I just. I just love it. Like uh, uh, Catherine and Olivier and Octave, who are uh, a couple from Quebec, a family from Quebec, kind of like the first people we saw doing that mm -hmm. were like, Catherine was 34 and did her first V12. And I think Olivier was 37, did his first AB and, and they had a four-year-old. Um, it's just like badass. <laughs> it's so like, cool. it's, to me, that's, that's pretty badass. It's yeah. pretty cool. I, I really like seeing that type of thing and seeing people make that work. Um, and so, yeah, we're like, and maybe that's because I, I'm like getting to the age where I like, I'm thinking more about that. Um, but I've just always liked kids. And I think having kids around is always fun. I know people don't like kids. Um, I don't necessarily believe them. <laughs> I just think it's so weird. <laughs> I believe them. But nowadays there are more of them who are like. just such a joy. Just easily put <clears throat> off by children. That's and another I one think of those it's like things. part of, yeah, the climate thing where it's like, uh, we don't want children because we don't want to like include like add to the number of humans in the world and stuff but like so we're gonna lose traveling and like some food cultures that can't eat meat and like these different things and now we're losing humans like now <laughs> literally we're, the future <laughs> so <laughs> it's where like, does it end yeah. Uh, yeah so it's like i get it but we can i don't know my solution to that is having one baby you know yeah. and that way when we die. It's I'm just always saying when we have kids loss. and then Steph says kid. When we have kid. child. <laughs> child. <laughs> when we have yeah. child. Yeah. It's nice. also maybe just more manageable in my head to just think of taking care of one baby rather oh, yeah. than mm -hmm. others, especially on the flight to Rocklands. <laughs> yeah. I love that you're, I love that that's part of the the calculus. Oh, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. We're like planning. when this baby's on the plane with us to Rocklands. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. I can handle one, but that's not got to try to time it so we don't have to miss a year. I, don't I know. know if that's possible. <laughs> no, yeah, that's tough. I can time it with semesters, maybe. Yeah, like there I you can go. teach and then take one off. Um, oh, we're planners. Yeah, I got like yeah, it's yeah, we are planners. But yeah, I've got probably more than Steph. We got baby fever. Um, yeah, I just like I never miss an opportunity to like hold a small child or something. Mm. And but people probably think I'm weird. Um, I just like kids. That's but, great. Yeah, that's awesome. I think it's great. I'm nervous so as a woman though to have a have a child, dude, for sure. To make yeah. a it seems to like so scary be pregnant. And the way I've been telling myself it is that like okay, for the first like maybe seven months, if my fingers let me climb and my body lets me climb, because I know it doesn't always happen for women, but like that's like steady, progressive training weight. <laughs> <laughs> 
that very quickly like, drops off at least like eight or nine pounds and then you know you can recover and then have some gains once you're that's the greatest thing that's recovers. ever been said on the podcast <laughs> that's how i kind of we're gonna like, actually name the baby training weight <laughs> yeah. call it. but training also weight is an is eggplant like, <laughs> <laughs> training weight is the size of a cantaloupe now do they get that big that's pretty big I think so. I don't know. Your sister had all these like, your sister now. compared it to fruit a lot. I was getting all into the rhetoric of baby fruit. I was like, what is this? Why are we doing this? It's because sometimes we didn't even know what the fruit was. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, very nervous about that. But seeing someone like Paige just oh, yeah. kill it afterwards. So cool. Which Strongest I, mom in the world. So yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah. I so mean, sick. I can only hope that I would recover like half as well, you know, because mm. that's awesome. But yeah, how old how old is their kid? Larkin? Right? Larkin is, is one, maybe 14, 15 Yeah, months? something like that. Yeah. Know. 15 months and she's climbed nine A, like a V fourteen bouldery nine A yeah. basically. And like a and did her first V thirteen. V thirteen. Yeah, in a session. It's what dope. the fuck? It's so it's sick. So sick. <laughs> yeah. That's inspiring. Yeah. It's I find that super inspiring. Yeah. inspiring. yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I it's funny with the kids thing because we have we have i mean lots of, we know lots of people who don't who don't want kids which is no no problem with that um but my my dad i'm like my dad i love the guy i disagree with him on almost everything <laughs> about everything <laughs> we bond over our disagreements um but he would always tell me that the best thing he ever did was have kids mm. and like it like when he says it it's impossible to deny that he means it mm. um like he really means it and he gets so much joy out of his family and out of his grandkids now um and that, that, like, as I get older, I think more about that. And it's, like, becomes really, like, um, I just think more about it. You know mm. what I mean? Like, that's a, it's one of the, I don't know, my dad taught me a lot. But, like, his his dedication to family is, like, pretty impressive. Mm. Um, and means a lot. And, like, and all our disagreements are, like, nothing in the, like, we disagree so hard that in other families it would actually be, like, a major problem probably. And in our family, family comes first no matter what. And like, doesn't matter disagreements, political or otherwise, religious or otherwise, don't matter at all. That's how strong his commitment to family is. That's it's cool. really amazing. Yeah. And it's been like, a, you know, I could I could fuck up a lot when I was younger because I knew my parents were going to kick me out because they loved me. <laughs> um, even if they thought I was dumb, you know, and they would tell me. Um, and so it's just like, that's such a wonderful thing that I had growing up um, that I like, I couldn't say the same for a lot of my friends, unfortunately. Mm. Um, I feel really lucky. Love you, dad. <laughs> Nice. Anything that we haven't talked about that you guys wanted to talk about today? I don't know. I didn't know what we were going to talk about. No. We just talked. Yeah. You guys are just easy to talk to. I brought a list of books. We had a great conversation. Because last time I had a list of books. I did bring a list of books. Nice. But we don't have to talk about it. I can just just give you the list of books. They're they're for the rest of you listening. I am terrible. I'm so slow with reading and um don't read i just don't read that much anymore or or i shouldn't say anymore at this stage in my life i don't read very much yeah yeah sometimes it's hard to sit down and make it happen mm-hmm. we brought 20 something paperbacks here to this wow. trip because i'm reading for my dissertation list uh, for my comp exams but last time i was on the podcast i got a lot of like messages from people about the reading <laughs> the reading list let's do the reading list do you yeah. want me to read them out yeah I'll, I'll put it i'll put it in the show notes too but yeah okay and um, why well more globally before you read them why why did you choose the ones that you chose? So since I've gone back from my PhD, I've been reading a lot, like a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, it's been really fun, actually. One of the principal pleasures of going back to school has been how much my job is to read. This is why I had to get a switch, though, because it's no longer relaxing to read. Um, <laughs> and 
And my, and I've just read like, I've just read some books that have blown my mind that I mm. never knew about, never heard about, never heard anybody talk about um, that have like fundamentally changed my view of the world. When, when he reads a book like this, do you read it too? Or do you just learn all about it from him? Sometimes. <laughs> the number one one on this list, I actually haven't read, which I'm sad about, but yeah, the list, the, the books we brought to Rockland's, I've read like 75% of them, wow. which I'm happy about because nice. I also like... I don't know, during the semester, I just read textbooks. And so I don't have much time outside of that. But this year in Rocklands, waking up every day and having at least an hour to two hours of reading, like with coffee, it's reminded me how great it is to mm. like have that. Nice. Yeah. So this this is a list of books that I've come across either through class or through my own study that I just think are really interesting. Um, and it's not that long. It's like not that many books, I guess. It's pretty long. <laughs> 10, it, 15, 10 or 15 Yeah, yeah, books. 10 or 15 books. Um, <clears throat> um, my reading list for my dissertation exam is 100 books, 120 books. Um, and half of those are novels. And so this is all novels. But these are all books that stood out to me. Uh, my, my field is Global Anglophone, which is all the books written in English in different cultures in different countries. So it follows colonialism quite closely. Mm. And my dissertation is going to be on speculative fiction, uh, mostly sci-fi, from North America, South Africa, and... Um, Australia, and I also do some uh, Native American literature work. And so this list kind of reflects a lot of that type of stuff. And I'm going to screw up the name, like some of the pronunciations of the names, because often I don't say these out loud. I'm just <laughs> reading them, you know? Yeah. Uh, so The Only Good Indians by Stephen Graham Jones. Uh, trigger warning, lots of violence. Um, that's a literary, he writes literary slasher, Whoa. Um, which is amazing. That's a really great book. Um, the Raft by Fred uh, Stridham. That's a South African writer who lives in uh, Johannesburg. Zoo City by Lauren Bukes, also South African writer. The Parable of the Sower and Kindred by Octavia Butler. I have like read, everybody's read Octavia Butler. I have not, and it's amazing, <laughs> amazing. Uh, Moon of the Crusted Snow uh, by Wabgeshig Rice. That's like a post-apocalyptic um, Canadian novel by a Native American writer, a First Nations writer, I should say. The Island Will Sink by Brioni Doyle. Um, Fl the Flamethrowers by Rachel Kusher. Uh, Miko Kings by Leanne Howe. That's a... Uh, this Native American literature about baseball. And I like don't like sports literature and it's amazing. It's hmm. really good. Um, Animals People by Indra Sina. That might've been on the last list. Burnt Shadows by Kamala Shamsi. Um, the Word for World is Forest by Ursula K. Le Guin. Marrow Thieves um, by Cherie Demeline. I'm saying this terribly wrong. And then Kiss of the Spider Woman by Manuel Pueg, which is originally in Spanish, but translated to English, the mm. one that I read. Um, when I was thinking about books that I would recommend to people, because people reading, I believe in reading. Yeah. Um, those are the ones that came to mind this morning. Nice. Those are all novels, you said. They're all novels. They're cool. mostly speculative fiction um, or sci-fi or some sort of weird. How, how would you define speculative fiction? What does that mean? Speculative fiction. So like what, what has defined literary fiction or literature is its commitment to realism. So speculative fiction is essentially the opposite, something that mm. doesn't necessarily commit itself to realism. Sometimes that's through um, fully unrealistic elements like fantasy, like Lord of the Rings technically would be speculative fiction, mm -hmm. um, I guess. Is it similar to, is it like different than magical realism? It's different than magical realism, yeah. Although there is an argument now to be made that speculative magical realism is an early form of speculative realism, um, of speculative fiction. We've had that discussion before in class. Okay. Um, and that discussion's happening in the literature. It turns out... And, and then sometimes people do it through more like realistic elements like sci-fi, science fiction, which attempts to be realistic or naturalist in its explanation of things. So like in sci-fi, things have to make some sort of logical sense in the universe that we live in. In fantasy, 
all bets are off. Mm-hmm. Magic, you can do anything you want. But the term speculative fiction is still being defined. It's only like just in the last 10, 15 years that it's actually getting any academic credence and like and like it's okay for me to do something like I'm doing, which is focus on it. Um, but it's 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 certainly is a is a phrase that can kind of catch all thing, things like magical realism. So whether or not magical realism counts as speculative fiction or can be included in that is kind of like a up in the air discussion that's still happening in mm. a lot of ways. Um, it definitely with the definition that I use, it certainly does fit. Um, but I focus a little bit more on like futurisms too, things that like are looking at uh, f- uh, like like are take place in the near future or in the future itself. Because I think that's a really interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, cool. Yeah, I'm excited. Are you writing right now? Um, I just finished this year. I, so I had three sci-fi books that I had self-published, and then I think when I talked to you last time, I had ju- I was writing another sci-fi book. I'm still trying to find a publisher for that one um because nobody wants to publish it is it separate the first three are a series right yeah the first three are a series and this one was this other one was separate it's called the gravity of the past and then i just finished i had written it like a year ago or two but i just finished a draft of the fourth book of the original series okay which went out to my beta beta reader people and they and i'll put it out in a few months online um on on self-published again but steph also wrote a novel sick and got it published yeah it was my first novel i wrote it during 2020 when we were on the road. Well, what's, and then the, what's it called? It's called The Call of Ewin. Ewin is like U-W-Y-N. And yeah, it's a portal fantasy novel. It got published in May of this year. I kind of... Um, what's the publisher again? Black Rose? Black Rose Writing, yeah. And I, when I was done with it, I didn't quite know what to do, but I was like, I have this book. What do, I should try to publish it. I should just see what it's like. And like, I knew that Carlos would try to publish his book someday. And I wanted to kind of see like, for both of us, what, what that world was, what you had to do. And so I just started sending it out to agents and publishers and it took like, I got rejected a lot, which is fine. It was my first novel. And like, as someone who's not studying literature and stuff, they kind of see that and they might take it as like, you're not serious in the writing world or something or stuff like that. So I, I never took it too personally, but I finally found a, a publisher and they originally rejected me and then gave me really good feedback and I thanked them mm. for it and spent the next year using their feedback to revise my novel and really edit it and make it good. And I sent it back to them like last year after we got back from Rocklands and they got back to me in like a week and we're like, we'll publish it. Wow. And so yeah, it came out <laughs> nice. in May of this year. That's amazing. Yeah. And it's awesome. And um, I kind of want to write again and I just have such a fun time um, well, in my first novel, there's a lot of, it's fantasy and there's a lot of world building. And I had a blast just writing down, writing kind of whatever my imagination wanted. Yeah. So yeah, you can check that out. That's so cool. You guys, man, you guys are so well matched. It's, yeah. it's uncanny. It's amazing. We feed off each other, I think. That's yeah. cool. We're very lucky. I try That's to talk cool. physics to him too. So he I enjoys it, but he kind that. of like. I just, I just don't dash it out. <laughs> yeah. It turns out I'm like a Carl Sagan physics lover, which is like, I want somebody smart to tell it to me in not technical language. Uh-huh. But she which, loves the technical as language. As a teacher though, it is very nice to know where I lost him in a conversation mm. to know like, okay, what did I not explain well? Right. Mm-hmm. And that shows me whether or not I truly understand the yeah. subject. So nice. it's kind of like, yeah. Your physics students are going to be better though. I haven't taken a math class in like literally 20 years. Um, so <laughs> yeah. But yeah. even then I didn't pay that much attention. Yeah. I don't think, I think if you um, 
are with Carlos long enough, like some desire to read or write will pop <laughs> up in your brain. And I, I truly know. This, think that. This conversation, we haven't hung out, you know, since since our first conversation. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I I like really want to buy all the books on that list. Start with yeah. the, the Only Good Indians. <laughs> okay. It's so good. Yeah. Are, were those in a specific order? No. Yeah. Okay. But The Only Good Indian is the first one on the list because it's the first book I recommend to everybody since I read it okay. here in 2021 for the cool. first time. He cool. got, he. I think he even got Austin to promise, Austin Hoyt to yes, promise that he that's would right. read. And Austin was like, I haven't read <laughs> I have. I'm, I'm going to mail him a book. I'm going to mail him that book. Nice. So yeah. like, we're going to have a, a very well-read climbing <clears throat> populace very soon. Incredible. You know? We like to have these artistic. I'm also going to try to make a, a short horror film next year. Um, and so like we're doing all sorts of stuff like that. Yeah. A short horror film. Yeah. Okay. Post-apocalyptic eco slasher. <laughs> I have nice. sadly been the one he's been using for the, <laughs> the, um, I read a preview cause we're gonna have a, a Kickstarter and all this yeah. stuff. Um, it's a very good preview, but sometimes I wish I didn't have well, to be the like. I realized she couldn't be the oh, slasher because the... her feet are too small. It doesn't look scary if your slasher has small feet. <laughs> it's so funny. So I what do you think it was what's your, deal. what's your role? I was the the victim, the victim. Yeah. and sometimes the slasher. And yeah, we, my sister would come home, and we'd have all these scary lights set up, like, and baby <laughs> Ava would be there, and I'd be holding her with this like scary mask on, and she'd be like, blah, blah, blah. and we're just filming with like an axe and fake blood, and yeah, the yeah, neighbors I had to, probably think we're weird. It's like a forty-five second trailer, and had to make a trailer for the Kickstarter eventually, right? But I was in school, and my 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 buddy who's going to do cinematography for it. Uh, Mike, he lives in Colorado. He does a lot of commercial work, but he wants to get into narrative stuff. Um, but he, you know, he can't come out to help me film a trailer. And I, and so we just like filmed it in like snatches and pieces, this trailer in our apartment um, or our townhouse or whatever that we live in, her sister's. Um, like when we ever, whenever we had a chance and just making do with the two of us. I mean, I think it came out pretty okay. I think it came out pretty okay. I'll send it to you. I'll share it Amazing. With you. Yeah. Um, but that's like, we're going to... Run the Kickstarter early next year and then try to shoot in March of next year. Nice. Um, and then hopefully send it to some film festivals and I have like a whole idea for a feature length version of it and somebody will be like, here's a million dollars, make a feature length. <laughs> <laughs> That's the ideal goal here. Um, so yeah, should be fun. I've always, I used to make short films when I was younger. Okay. I was supposed to go to film school and I didn't want to cost the money to my parents because it's mm. a lot of money. Um, and so, and so like, yeah, part of my 30s has been getting back into sci-fi, getting back into drawing, getting back into all these things, uh, comic books, all these things that I was um, into when I was younger. Now filmmaking is the mm -hmm. next one. I've been skated for like three months once in my 30s. So it's, I'm excited. To, uh, hopefully it'll go okay. We'll see. Yeah, we're pretty nice. big about having creative outlets. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Especially when we're just so focused and in about school and, in public. and training. Yeah. Are you writing another book stuff or do you have anything else you're working on right I now? I was. I, yeah. I, <laughs> I, um, my first book, I wrote the outline. I kind of did what Carlos kind of told me the steps were, you know, do the outline, separate it into chapters and then write it. And the second book, I kind of just started writing it from an idea I had. And I found it very difficult to not have a chapter by chapter outline mm. to like know what you're going to write. And so I'm stepping back a second and um, just thinking about that to have a good structure because it's quite difficult to try to just, some people can do it, they just write it, but... I found that very difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Is your book available on Kindle? Yeah. Kindle. Um, yeah. I guess you can get it on Amazon, 
paperback too. And then pretty much everywhere they sell books. I saw it on like a Target website the other day and Fuck I yeah. was like, whoa, Target. <laughs> That's so but, super dope. Yeah, honestly, if anyone wants PDF, oh no, I probably shouldn't say that because I have a publisher. Um, <laughs> but like for, yeah, the publisher thing is weird for me because they want you to sell things and I'm not about like making money very mm. much. I, mean, I didn't do this to make money. Um, but yeah, for me, just leaving an honest review, whatever you thought, even if it's good or bad, like I like seeing that and I like... I don't know. It's weird to have people read your book, but it's nice to have some feedback. Yeah. That's super cool. This is really fun, you guys. I'll, I'll link to all the things in the show notes for people that want to check out all your books. Why Why are you deciding to try to get published with a publisher for this fourth book instead of just self-publishing like uh, you did for the first You know, book? I just this morning, I was kind of rethinking that. I was like, maybe I shouldn't because... I've gotten like a, quite a lot of downloads of my books for like, cause people, I just give them out for free. People like free books. Um, there's all these Facebook groups that are like uh, dedicated to free books. Right. So, um, and so I was thinking about that, but part of it is like, I don't, I don't, I don't actually, I wouldn't want my career to be writing cause that's just too much. Um, and, and I like teaching, but if I could make enough to like come here every year off my writing, that would be fun. And I don't make any money off my sci-fi books cause they're, I'm giving out for free mostly. Um, to me, like, like Steph was saying, having somebody read them is just such a, like, it's just it blows me away that anybody reads my books and it blows me away anymore than anybody likes them. Mm. It's just mind blowing. Um, but it's also like quite a bit of work to, to, to advertise them to people and to do all that type of stuff. And to, I make all the covers myself and Steph does all the editing for me. Um, that's a lot of work and it'd be nice to have a publisher to do that type of stuff for you. Mm. Um, and, and I think also though, there is like a little bit of like a weird, which is changing, but I'm like from before self-publishing was a thing, you know, there's like more respectability to publishing or something like that, right? Um, and so I just figured I would give it a shot with this one. I was really inspired by how hard Steph worked on getting hers published because I like with my first book, I was like, well, I have this book now. Maybe I'll try to get a publisher. I got like one or two rejections. was like, ah, now you self-published. Mm. Um, and the books are okay, I guess. And so I think like like I just didn't have the wherewithal because I cared too much about what people thought or something mm. like that, right? And then seeing, you know, Steph take the rejections in stride and then work on her book for two years and then get it published was like, damn, that's so hell cool. yeah, yeah, and made me really realize that I like like I can, you know, I was very inspired by her. Yeah, it's was a different a... world. It's quite competitive, the publishing mm. world. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, you walk in a you walk in a bookstore or. Yeah, you walk in a bookstore or a library and it's just like, who the fuck wrote all of these? It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I find too that publishers and agents are very specific about what they want. Mm. And so they'll even have like um, books they don't want. And so it kind of seems sometimes like you have to know what the publisher you're going after wants and then you write the book. Oh, wow. And so it was really hard to find one that like kind of fits what you're looking for um, but also being really good at, at like summarizing your book and showing how passionate you are and what you're all about to them. I don't know, selling yourself basically. Mm -hmm. That's, that was quite difficult. And yeah, it's all about forming these relationships with agents so that they believe in you. And it's yeah. weird when it, I also like, I'm not trying to be a full-time author. Like I still want to do my school and stuff. And so for them, it might seem as like, oh, she's not committed. She's mm. not going to be producing as much or selling as much, you know, cause it is about sure, yeah, the profit. They, yeah, I'm sure someone who's like really dedicated, who's gonna write sequels and other stuff. Yeah, just is, continuously. Is more attractive this. to the publisher, mm -hmm. that makes sense. Was there a theme behind the feedback that you got? 
Um, I think, yeah, since I've never really, I hadn't written anything for a long time. So kind of learning how to communicate and like write sentences effectively kind of, and like, that was the gist of my feedback, basically like making just clarity work and stuff. And mm. I was also surprised to get feedback about things like lengths of sentences and how these days, because we're so used to short um, like sentences and small paragraphs, um, readers are more likely to stay reading a book if the paragraphs are shorter, the sentences are shorter, things are easier for them. Mm. And that surprised me, like kind of having to dumb down, not yeah. dumb down, but like simplify things so that you didn't bore the reader in a long paragraph, things like that. Like yeah. very, <clears throat> yeah, commercially based feedback, I think. Yeah. And just, I, I mean, getting feedback about my writing was good too, because I, I haven't, I'm not like doing a degree in creative writing. And so these were all things that you probably would have learned if you did, did that degree. And I had to kind of learn the hard way through this feedback, but it was useful for me. And I didn't take it very personally because I knew that I was new to it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what allowed me to get so many rejections and keep going is that I wasn't, um, as invested in it personally. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, no, not as much skin in the game. Like, yeah, I'm yeah, here. still skin in the game, but just not taking it as personally because yeah. I had, I'm, yeah, it's not a reflection of like who I am. I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, is is Scott Adams the Dilbert guy? Is that right? Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> I read this um, blog post from him years ago that had a huge influence on how I thought about writing. I don't, I don't write a ton, but I think it even helped me like in writing and communicating well via email or. You know, I, I kept a blog for a year back in like 2018, 19. Um, but it's, I think the blog post is called The Day You Became a Better Writer. Hmm. And it basically breaks down what you're, what you're describing. Um, like complicated sentences filled with a lot of adjectives and fluffy words are, it actually can dilute mm -hmm. the power of the sentence and, and getting rid of the really or the very or the, you know, whatever adjective um adverb ad adjective i think very is an adverb i don't know i should know that <laughs> I, teach, I teach literature yeah, but getting rid of fluff. those can yeah. the fluff yeah cutting out the fluff can actually like make a forward sentence way more powerful um i think about that texting people sometimes like i'm i have a tendency to want to say like thank you so 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 much i really really appreciate it mm. you know or whatever and it's like sometimes cutting all that extra shit out is actually more effective and, and gets right to the point for people yeah, yeah, use an exclamation point every single time. And then my mom texts me with a period and I'm like, oh, I got in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Freaks me out. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I have um, I have a whole page of notes that I didn't even need, you guys. Nice. Because you guys are so easy to talk to. I'm going to ask one question, though, because it ties into uh, to potentially the writing and just where you guys are going next and, and what's next for you. Um, what is something that you want to do that you don't feel ready for? Other than having a baby. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing, having a family. <laughs> yeah, that might be the one that's on my mind all the time now. Mm. Um, I don't know if I'm not ready for it, but I want to do it. But I don't mm. think you're ever ready for it. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. I have I have um, a climbing one. Okay. A sky. Nice. I would like I I have this original list of boulder problems here in Rocklands that I want to do, and 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 sky's the last one. Like the, the 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 final boss, Jen called it the final <laughs> boss of the ABs out here. Yeah. Um, but I'm like not strong enough. Um, you tried it. I've tried. I tried it every year I come out here. Mm. Um, and every year it's a little better. And every good year for I'm you, dude. That's up. really cool. That's yeah, super cool. I, I want to know where I'm at. Now, maybe I'll get on it one more time before we go. But I kind of know what I need to be able to do it, which is stronger fingers. Yeah. Mm. Odin told me that it's not a finger strength problem, which is something that people with finger strength tell you. <laughs> um, people with really strong fingers like to tell you that. Yeah, yeah. But it's like I like I can I can hang the position, but it's hard. Like for the second move. And then, so yeah, Sky, we don't need to get too detailed. Sky is one. And then um, making this movie next year actually like kind of freaks me out um, because it's like coordinating a lot of people together to get it to do this thing. And it could be terrible. And my story is maybe off-putting to a lot of people because it's horror. Mm. Um, and so so that's a big one. Um, those are kind of like the two the two big things that, um, that I'm like going to basically be working on a lot this next year that I know... I'm not quite ready for now, um, but like, I'm going to work hard to get ready for it by the time they come around. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, our life the last few years kind of feels like a lot of us working towards these things we want to do, like just even our whole lifestyle where we're teaching and stuff. And I want me teaching physics, like, but it's been a lot of also enjoying the process of getting there and like for the first time in my life, kind of really enjoying just the day-to-day -day life um, because I see that if you just are consistent with things, it kind of, it works out. And mm. whether it worked out how you wanted it to or not, like it's okay. And I've just been enjoying being on that ride, working towards all these things I can't do but want <laughs> to eventually do. Yeah. One, one thing I'm, I, I have to do soon and I am ready for is to write my dissertation. I'm like mm. super psyched to write my dissertation. <laughs> um, I think it freaks a lot of people out, uh, but I'm like ready for it. So. Oh, I think that. you're going to write it in a day. Like no. There's no, it takes people years. I think Carlos just has um, so much energy. Um, you're just going to tip tap away. <laughs> I yeah. Write it. yeah. You're like, Carlos, how did you get it done in three weeks? <clears throat> I got a lot to say all the time. Yeah. <laughs> it helps. It helps. Yeah. Nice. What's next? Couple more, one more climbing day, couple more climbing days. Yeah, Caroline for me Friday, which I'm just psyched to drop me some more. And um, honestly, I've been enjoying to just go and hang out on rest days and everything with everyone, going to see them climb, whether it's Matthias and Nick or Carlos or like. That's so fun. Or yeah. I other, do more just everyone we've met, it makes your rest days so much fun, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, we leave Saturday. Um, so I'm going to go try El Corazon. Um, here in a, probably, I don't know what time it is in a few hours, mm. um, give it like a hail Mary effort. I'm not rested as much as I'd like to be. And my skin's not as good as I would like to be it to be. Um, it's hot. It's hot. <clears throat> yeah. Um, all those things. And then we get back and, and we have two weeks before school starts. And, um, I've got quite a bit of work in terms of like these unionizing efforts that we're having at school with the GA stuff and, and getting ready for the school semester and yeah. Stuff like that. He and then a it's a meeting tonight with the newspaper lady about the union. Yeah, with KMPR. Yeah. Okay. Um, about this stuff. So we're getting some like publicity, uh, local publicity. Um, and I'm like the person who has to talk. Um, maybe that's something that I have to do that I'm not ready for, <laughs> uh, talking to this person. But yeah, yeah. I think right now my my head is already back home. Um, yeah. Getting we're ready for that stuff. We're like pretty tired and ready. Um, um, and the school semester is right around the corner. Mm hmm. Um, yeah. and it's like a big lift in a lot of ways. It's intimidating. It's yeah. a good project. 
uh, the school semester. So, um, but then we get to go to Japan in December. We're looking forward to that. Um, all that type of stuff. Yeah, and we'll I'm be here before I get we know to, it. I get to work in a trip. yeah first training trip. My I get to do new research this semester in an optics lab with the lady who works with him through the union stuff, and so that'll be fun. Nice, I'm excited. More physics. <laughs> More, More physics. women in physics. Yeah. Nice. Hell yeah. Yeah, we get to nerd out for the next school year. Yeah, we're well, excited. Sweet. Thank you both for doing this. I'm glad. I'm glad uh, this worked out. And thanks for thanks to both of you for making the time. I'm really glad you joined us, Steph. Yes. Yeah. You, were, you were a little hesitant, fun. but yeah, I think I this was. I think this is awesome. Around talking. <laughs> <laughs> you got to push yourself, though. You know. <clears throat> That's yeah. awesome. Thanks for having us. Yeah. It's good to be back. Yeah. yeah. Pleasure yeah. pleasure as always. Hope to climb with you guys more. Yeah. One of these trips or or one of these days. St. George or Vegas. Yeah. 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 I might I might come try wet dream. Sick. Ooh, nice. Yeah. I really want to we'll try. Bring out some pads. I should be able I should Love be able to climb camera. more this semester because I'm not taking classes anymore. I'm okay. just dissertating. Well, after my exams. I might I might be a full time boulderer now. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> dark side that's awesome <laughs> we'll, we'll see we'll see what happens but i'm definitely like thinking a lot more about like lining up the next boulder project than i'm yeah. thinking about sport climbing these days so yeah we'll see come try but... power slave with me <clears throat> okay i want to project that one it's easy to sit under with a few pads and sick always cold it's pretty cool nice tiny yeah. crimps they're Sweet. not that tiny that'd be that'd be good practice for me yeah good, it's yeah. great it's really cool yeah good good for me on my crimping journey yeah yeah i hate my crimping journey but there it is got to do it I, I i've trained my crimps so then i don't come out and crimp very yeah, much at all neither of us are crimpers either <laughs> yeah um but that thing is cool and not 25 moves like lethal by design mm. yeah so which is preferable for me i don't like long boulder problems oh, okay yeah. gotcha but cool yeah, good luck so good luck later today thank you thank you what time is it right now it's one oh seven. Okay, so I got. Nice. We're not supposed to be able to till four, so got okay. time to chill and try to compose myself a little Perfect. bit. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Eat some food. Yeah. Digest. Chill. For sure. All right. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you guys. Hey friends, before you go, quick shout out to all of our sponsors for this episode. As always, you can find links to all of our sponsors and you can see the coupon codes for their products in the show notes at thenuggetclimbing.com or just by scrolling down right there in your podcast app. I make it really easy for you guys to get great deals on some of my favorite products. So check them out. Scroll down right there in your podcast app or check out the show notes at thenuggetclimbing.com. And as always, I put tons of goodies in the show notes. So for this episode, you can find links to all the things, videos and books we talked about, related podcast episodes, my guests' links, etc. You can find all of that stuff conveniently linked for you at thenuggetclimbing.com. Just find this episode and all of the show notes will be there, including timestamps so you can scroll around and find some of the best nuggets from this interview if you want to listen to those sections again. And as always, thank you guys so much for listening. If you want even more great content, if you've been loving the show, I do have a Patreon. I have tons of bonus episodes over there, almost 50 bonus episodes. They're called follow-ups that I've published so far with past guests from the show. Those bonus episodes are some of my favorite interviews that I've done on the podcast. You can get access to all of those and ad-free episodes and more for $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash thenuggetclimbing to learn more. There's a link for Patreon right there in your podcast app as well. 
Thank you guys for listening. I appreciate all of the support. Happy climbing. I hope you have an amazing week and we will see you next time. Like we do it.